Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Top of the Monday morning to you. Oh, another Monday. It's just a manic Monday. Hey, we need to get that song now. Manic Monday, and then we'll do the Friday song. Mm, your favorite song, Terry. Yes. Hey, um... Good morning to you, and uh, got a great show for you coming up uh, in just a bit. We'll be talking politics as we do every Monday. I like to find out, you know, what's going on in the political world. I don't know, man. They're coming out firing on Hillary Clinton, using her full name now, not just Hillary. Don't want to be sexist. Uh, here's the deal. I had okay, interesting weekend. A little update for those listeners that uh, you know have heard me talk about this a million times. A 99-and-a-half-year-old friend passed away. Ooh. Remember the guy I've been – we've been praying to die because he wanted to die and just go be with his wife. He passed away. Wonderful man, uh, Ralph Smith, and I am blessed to be able to speak at his funeral. It's next – this Saturday coming up. So um, anyway, tragic but not really. Uh isn't it amazing? Sometimes it's just death is good. 99 and three quarters, really, years old. And uh, so we'll probably be talking about him throughout the show. And uh, I couldn't believe it. Last night on ESPN2, I'm watching TV. I have three hours of TV a week that I get, pretty much. Wow. And yeah. I, I'm watching. Three just, hours? That's about all I get. Mm. I wish I really wish I had more because you gave me a list of shows yeah. to go watch. Apparently, I watch too much. <laughs> well, what I found out <laughs> is on ESPN two they have a they had Hero of the Dorms and Cal Berkeley was playing ASU in a video game, but they were it was they were acting like this was an athletic event. Yeah, yeah, that's it was, that's it, the it new was thing. amazing. Well, not really new, but. and you would watch them. Pick their players and go head to head in a battle on this video game. It was just fantastic. You know what do you do? Fantastic. So, anyway, that uh, that happened, uh, and I ended up getting way into video gaming. Like you know, like I know anything about it. And the entire time, I'm thinking James would eat this up. Totally. Have you ever seen anything like that, James? Oh yeah, definitely. Esports is to- is on the rise. I mean, it's cool. I mean, it was really – it's actually – and these are two schools going head-to-head. So this is really what I see. This is the brains getting the ESPN street cred. Mm-hmm. Because they're – and they also, whoever wins, gets full scholarships for yeah, school. There's huge money in this. I mean, there's like different games like Dota 2 and League of Legends where there there are teams that compete and there are millions of dollars on the line. Oh my heavens! It's 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 really gaining a lot of momentum, especially over in China. They they fill up entire stadiums just to watch people play these video games. <laughs> it's, crazy. it's crazy. See, so all of these parents that are at home don't play your video games. It's going to get you nowhere. Except it just got five kids full scholarships to Cal Berkeley. Yeah, for the money. entire career at Cal Berkeley. And that's amazing. 
Yeah. I mean, it, sure. We It's funny because we watch a Miss America pageant and we think, oh, yeah. We're just, it's just a scholarship program is what they say. But the reality is this video gaming is just a scholarship program for some now. Yeah, I'm going to predict this will just keep happening bigger and bigger and more money. And I mean, who's, who wouldn't throw a lot of money at that? They were getting primetime television. And Mike, we couldn't stop watching it. We Half the time we were laughing at how serious they were all taking it. But then the other times we're thinking, well, that's a lot of money on the line. Well, they even have sportscasters. They have a play-by-play. No, yeah, four. They had four sportscasters. That's crazy. You, oh, check down the lower section of the – and all of a sudden the video – I mean it's just – and what's great about it is – yeah, you don't need a lot of cameras. You just need probably two cameras and then somebody to work video graphics mm-hmm. to just make it all over this stupid screen. It was amazing. Anyway, so that was uh, kind of sadly my Sunday. I mean, it's pathetic. It was my only day off. and Video games. <sighs> totally video worth games. it. And you could have played video games and said you were watching. Yeah, no. Uh, no, I don't want to play them. Really? Yeah, no. Right. I, it's just it video games, fun. but it's stressful too. It's also a stress reliever. I know. So why would you want to go stress yourself when you could just – Because you could relieve that stress through the video game. Yeah. I could relieve the stress just sleeping. Well, you could do that too. But you were watching video games. What I wanted to do. Later today, by the way, in the show, hour number two, we're going to be talking about exercise, taking care of yourself and how it it manages stress. But there's new research on why it – why it manages stress that we don't always think – we always think it's just chemical. You'll feel good. Yeah. But we're finding out that it actually changes your brain. When you exercise, it changes a chemical kind of huh. system in your brain that impacts your prefrontal cortex, yada, yada, yada. And we're going to have an expert on we we'll talking about that. You know, not a big deal. Not a big deal. Just your life. <laughs> Anything going on in the news? I've heard something about Nepal. Yeah, this is crazy. 7.8 magnitude earthquake struck Nepal Saturday. Ugh. Historic structures leveled, causing widespread damage, killing at least, and the numbers keep being updated. Yeah. As I was telling you this morning, this is the fifth time I've updated these numbers. Now at 3,800 people, 7,000 injured. All those numbers are round. Yeah, they're going to go right As up. they continue to grow. The quake struck around noon, 50 miles from uh, Kathmandu, the capital. The death toll expected to rise as they continue searching through the rubble. The quake also triggered a fatal avalanche on Mount Everest that killed at least 18 climbers while injuring or trapping several more. We saw some video on that this morning. Yeah, I mean, Nepal is probably the most underdeveloped country around, right? One of the, yeah. And it's, I mean, as if they didn't already have all these other problems with China and everything else. Yes. Now you have to, now you have to deal with this. 7.8 earthquake, that's huge. They didn't have their one of their iconic, you know, towers that they that is such a iconic yeah. thing. Everybody wants a picture in front of it. Destroyed. Destroyed. One expert described the force of the earthquake as similar to detonating twenty thermonuclear hydrogen bombs at the same time. Oh my heavens. More than twenty aftershocks have been felt, including a six point seven quake on Sunday. Wow. So it just gets crazier. Oh man. Um so the climbers stuck on uh Everest, the ropes and equipment they left up to help them make the descent were swept away in the avalanche Saturday. Uh, the Indian Army estimates that 19 people died. So the numbers here in these two different stories yeah, are different. Yeah, they're already going up, yep. As 61 people have been rescued and primarily were foreign tourists. So imagine you're stuck at like base camp four in, yeah. in on Everest and you can't get down till people climb from three to four, which is hard anyway. And you're running out of oxygen. Yes. 
and supplies and all your tents are destroyed and you're out in the <sighs> elements. It's bad. It's way bad. Now, one, one thing that's come out of this is Nepal experienced the worst earthquake in 80 years. Facebook activated a special feature that aims to keep people informed of the security of their friends and family in the affected area. It's called Facebook Safety Check. Hmm. Users uh, at the site of a natural disaster, when they log on, it asks them if they're safe, and then it notifies their connections of their status. It also asks other users to indicate when people they know are safe. It's so, such a great idea. So you kind of get the, the check coming both ways on that. Because how many times would you be thinking, oh, so-and-so was just right there. I wonder yeah. how they're doing. And now uh, the minute they log in, it'll automatically ask you, "Are you because we, we know where you are. But then you'd have to be geo-positioned or whatever. Yep. You'd have to be doing their – Geopositioning thing. Yeah. So I mean, depending on if all if the whole system works correctly, you're able to send out a notification. I'm, I'm okay. good. I'm okay. Everybody relax. And then you could even it might even help you f- communicate with other people. Right. right? A lot of times, uh, phone, in the area, phones and communication lines that way may be down, but you might be able to get some sort of a, a so connection internet wise. That's exactly how Facebook needs to innovate so more instead of safer practices you know looking at all your choices and all your web searches and that kind of stuff yeah. there's something that's actually trying to help with cool. the situation there um what else i don't know the harry reed story well what's with this? his eye oh what i didn't hear you know, there's there's like yeah, several different yeah. ideas on how he did it was it an exercise band did the mafia beat him up? Was it a left hook? Did his brother punch Mrs. him in the face? <laughs> a Las Vegas man told the Las Vegas Sun over the weekend he concocted a story about Harry Reid getting beat up by his brother to, to test the right-wing media gullibility, oh, which he claimed worked like a charm. They fell for it. Larry Pfeiffer said he made up the story about Reid's eye injury, which the senator uh, said it was an exercise band, exercise yeah. equipment accident. I, but don't you believe seems, that? Uh, I don't. I do, totally. It just seems odd. Well, why, if you're going to make up an odd story, make no. up one that doesn't make you look like an idiot. Well, and then on the other side of it is you made up a story and you didn't think about it before you put it out there and it's it's an odd story. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. The, both, yeah. both ways it's kind of unbelievable, but either way, he says it was this exercise accident and that's kind of how you have to go until the member of the mob steps up and talks about why he did it in a book 20 years from now. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. I mean, does a member of the mob punch him in the eye? Hey, it's Vegas. Things it's happen. Vegas, baby. Things happen. <laughs> to me, it just is so fitting. It's an exercise band. Have you ever had an exercise band just get away from you? It ain't a pretty situation. It's pretty dangerous is what it is. We're going to take a break, my friends. Uh, Joe Cannon's going to be joining us. He's our Washington insider. We're going to pick his brain about uh, all of the latest headlines going on with Hillary Clinton. She's on the ropes, folks, but um, but is she really? I mean, she's a Clinton, for heaven's sakes. This is nothing. We'll be talking about that, plus all things uh, political here on the Matt Townsend Show right after this break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house is our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Joe Cannon is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation and was uh, once a candidate for U.S. Senate. Back in the day, he also uh, was the editor of the Deseret News. Um, in fact, that was in 2006. Man, that's been a while, Joe. That's been a while, too, yeah. Does yeah. that uh, 
I mean, it's interesting, kind of a little political career, a big business career. Another thing that you worked a lot on was in the Deseret Morning News. Which do you prefer, business, media, politics? <laughs> I don't know. I've had a pretty eclectic uh, career. You really? Have. Uh, I love my time at the Deseret News. Yeah. That was, uh, you know, for me. Uh, I don't know. It was a historic thing. I mean, yeah, my my grandfather some... and my great-grandfather were editors of the paper, so it was really a wonderful historic thing for me. Plus, I loved the paper, and we, we tried to make it more accessible to yeah. a lot of our readers. So, no, I love the paper, but uh, gen- generally I like too. to do what I'm do- whatever it is I'm doing. That's what I like to yeah. do. So. Yeah. And well, you've still got you know two or three more career moves if you're, if you're ready for them. You just got to figure out exactly – What's going to be next? I think next, maybe what you ought to do is write a book on Hillary Clinton. <laughs> That's the uh, probably the least likely thing that. Uh, what is the deal? Okay, so let me get this straight. There's a book that comes out. Peter Schweitzer writes a, a book called Clinton Cash, and it's really basically alleging, you know, major major impropriety financially. Like there's a there's an assumption, and, and I don't know if he ever directly says. You can't yeah. prove everything. You can't prove anything, quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, uh, just the n- normal caveat here. I have not read the book. Yeah. I've only yeah. seen what lots of other people have characterized the book. But just the characterizations. I mean, just say there was no actual deal that country X uh, or person Y mm-hmm. gave money to the Clintons and then they got a very specific – uh, benefit from that from Decision, the State Department right. or the government, but the fact of the matter is, it, it's a it's a lot of money going in the Clintons' direction, and at least there's the hope, expectation, and aspiration on the part of the donors yeah. that they're going to get something out of it, and there's at least the acquiescence to that feeling on the part of the Clintons. Okay, I'm, I, who knows whether they actually promised anything? I, I kind of doubt yeah, that they did, right. whatever that's worth. But when you look at uh, this huge influx of money, uh, kind of coincident with her being Secretary of State and then her being a candidate, you know, people are wanting something. And some of those people who want something are pretty unsavory people. Yeah. I mean, these uh, weren't the best countries. And they're, they're expecting because in their countries, they do get something yeah. uh, for this kind of graft and, and, and bribery. But, uh, you know, I think uh, of, of all – there are two stats that just jumped out at me. One is, uh, since I'm involved in a nonprofit myself, um, the enormous amount of money that goes to the Clinton Foundation and the little trickle of that money that, that actually somewhere. goes to the charitable yeah. uh, cause and the vast hundreds of millions of dollars going to expenses and, uh, and other, other unidentified activities. Um, so now even Common Cause – is it Common Cause? I think is, is calling for a uh, – you know, an audit of, mm. of the foundation. The other thing is, is the astronomical increase in Clinton, President Clinton, Bill Clinton's speaking fees. Oh my heavens! Coincident yeah. with uh, with uh, Hillary becoming uh, exactly. Secretary of State. I mean, there is, you know, then then like and, underneath underneath all of that, there are all these, uh, you know. Uh, pretty unsavory characters, both foreign and domestic. Yeah. That um, that are. Uh, giving money to these, these I mean guys. he went and, and I mean I, I am a public speaker and it's not easy it really is not easy at all 
to you don't get to a make, half a million per. No. Uh, oh, gee. But, but you know what? Like he was, I think, making normally like a hundred to one hundred and fifty million, one hundred and fifty thousand. And then once she was elected, his fees started going up to about five hundred thousand, and uh, not not elected, uh, but selected, appointed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I sit there and I think that's. And, and I mean, it's it's one thing to be President Clinton. It's another thing to have anybody's speaker's fees quadruple without something, some major, you know, a, a new bestseller or that made you Oprah-esque. I mean, some of the biggest, best names in the world don't have that happening, number one. But number two, um, also, why wouldn't she just keep everything cleaner? She knew she was going to run. She knew she wanted to run. Why wouldn't she just keep it I mean then we go back to the emails we yeah. go back to all of these other things what is the deal well I think it's safe to say that the Clintons both of them feel that they're in their own world and governed and judged by their own rules and um, they've gotten away with it for an awful yeah. long time so you know why why not I mean I, I'd be I'd be very surprised if there was some smoking gun email. Yeah, no. On the other hand, imagine any other government official, anyone, low or high, saying, "Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to use the government uh, server. I'm not going to use the email account." And then when somebody figures out that that might be a problem, I, I think I'm just going to destroy all of the emails. Yeah. Well, d- and, and she, she said she destroyed all of the personal emails. Right, right. But does that mean that they came from the Clinton fund? We, so and that's what so the whole point is. We don't. No, no one knows the answer, but it's certainly reasonable c- to yeah. conclude that uh, that they weren't all about Chelsea's uh, baby and <laughs> yoga classes. <laughs> Who does that much yoga? It really is, Joe. I think. I mean, I I really, you know, I don't want to go through what we had kind of at the end of the Clinton thing, where it was constant investigations. Always, you know, dodging the next issue, the next issue, the next issue. Is that is that if she's the only candidate? Is that what we're looking at? I well, mean, we, we would have seen it anyway with Republicans, yeah, throwing stuff at her. But yeah, this is a, this is a uh, order of magnitude above and beyond the normal back and forth. For one thing, it's pretty unusual that the New York Times yeah. and other you know, mainstream media people yeah. would would go after David Democrats Brooks is like David Brooks just said this is crazy. Mark Halperin, I think from Newsweek, is like they're all. What yeah. is she doing? Why are we even having these conversations? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that there's a lot of perplexity among the main, mainstream journalists. Like, what, what do you think you're? Uh, are you, what are you trying to get away with right, here? I mean, right. that's the that's the the, the uh, funny thing. So, however, it, it is interesting. Uh, the, the bubble could collapse, could burst, yeah. or it could just – they could just keep going. She could do – I mean she's shown this amazing proclivity just to endure and go on. You mm-hmm. know, the the whole – the UN um, press conference that she gave where you know, she didn't even look at the reporters. She did, definitely didn't answer any real yeah. questions and then she walks away. I think she thinks that that's going to happen here and she's – and she might be right. Yeah. I mean that, that, that could happen. Uh, it's a very dicey game. It's like it's uh, you know, and I don't never played a roulette wheel, so I don't quite a, fully understand it. But like all the chips are basically on one number on one here, number, and, one color, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and it's a roll uh, of the dice there. And uh, not too many people waiting in the wings, and the ones waiting in the wings are way down the pecking order uh-huh. when it comes to uh, presidential do, politics. Do you sense more will jump in now? Just sensing that there has to be an alternative. I don't think any more. 
will jump in. I mean, that, that, that's well, the players they have right now. Sort of Elizabeth Warren, um, uh, Martin Martin O'Malley. O'Malley. Uh, people talk a lot about Jim Webb. I, I think there's no chance Jim Webb gets through uh, any Democratic primary. Hmm. Um, what? <coughs> why? Why do you sense Webb won't make it through? Just because he's well. <laughs> Webb is way too t- far to the right okay. for the base of the Democrat Party who chooses candidates in primaries. Mm. So he might well do well in a uh, general in a general election, but you know this guy was the Secretary of the Navy yeah. Navy under Reagan. I mean, he's a military guy. This yeah. guy's a Marine, tough guy. Uh, I kind of like him actually. Yeah. But but so the and, progressives and, would kill him in the primary. Yeah, I just don't see him getting any traction in, in, in the primaries. Yeah. But who who knows? So the only other two, you've got Warren and O'Malley who are out there. Um, I guess de Blasio, the mayor of New York, has made some noises. But it, it just – it depends on how how yeah. uh, how she survives this particular onslaught. Hmm. It's such an interesting race, isn't it? And I mean it really – right now it probably shouldn't be. But now all of a sudden – This is coming up. Let's just do this, Joe. Let's take a break again. We're talking with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon, from Fuel uh, Freedom Foundation. Uh, Go to his website, fuelfreedom.org. Again, his goal is to help us to uh, lower the costs of uh, fuel in um, the United States. What a a great mission that is, as well as, you know, we just like it because it gives us a chance to pick an insider's brain. This is the uh, Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. More right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Joe Cannon is joining us. He's our Washington insider. He's also the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Uh, go to the website, fuelfreedom.org, and you can find out what they are doing there. Basically trying to, to lower the cost of fuel uh, in the United States. By just, you know, better, smarter partnerships and planning. Uh, Joe, welcome back, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Sounds like you got a little cold. I'm over it, actually. I was really sick last week, but I'm. What's the deal? It's you've had it. You've had it for a while, Joe. I've yeah. every time you come in, you get the sniffles. <laughs> oh well. Well, actually, so I was diagnosed with walking pneumonia last week. So really? I, 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 the doctor gave me this Z-Pack, this amazing yeah. uh, antibiotic, and it, yeah. honestly, it, it, I finished taking it Cleaned two everything. days ago, and I, I'm feeling really good. But you, eat, you even look taller, Joe. <laughs> I'll a, go back to that doctor then. <laughs> that's quite a Z-Pack you got there. Hey, um, okay, so we're talking about Hillary and money, but one of the things that in a way uh, scares me is the, the amount of money that needs to be raised Two and a half billion dollars is what the Clintons say they're going to run. They're going to earn or uh, fundraise. Right. How in the world – Barack Obama raised a billion and that was out of the park. How in the and, – and he fought against Mitt who could raise a billion. But it's just all money now. So all of a sudden we see all of these potential money issues that the Clintons are being accused of and yet they're going to go raise two and a half billion dollars to to influence this campaign. Right. Well, just to 
one observation is it takes a lot of money to run campaigns. I'm not sure that a lot of that $2.5 billion isn't going to get wasted. And campaigns also waste a lot of money. Yeah. But, but if, you're, if you're a candidate, especially at that level, you want to have the biggest security blanket you can have, and money represents that. Right. Money, money gives you the options for, for all kinds of things, advertising and the kind of polling that they do. Um, so, you know, A, you do need money. This seems like a lot of money on the one hand. On the other hand, I don't know how much beer commercials cost right. during the Super Bowl. So uh, <laughs> a lot of this money goes for advertising and, and uh, this is a, just another product and I'm guessing that the, the total political advertising is less than – a lot of big products yeah. that do, we do see. Do you sense like uh, the Koch brothers and uh, Adelson, who's I think a, a casino owner, mm-hmm. and then George Soros, and then you mentioned one Steyer, Tom Steyer, Tom right. Steyer. These these are all they're just going to bundle money, raise money, and then be able to I, I guess assert. Well, these folks do do two things. There are. There's a category of fundraisers called bundlers, and they mm-hmm. go out and get their friends, and they they'll raise a million dollars or two million or something like that. Uh, these people are in a different category. They a they could make contributions, but mostly what they are doing is making what are called independent contributions. So they're they're, they're just creating their own money. yeah they're they're creating their own campaigns to support uh, their respective candidates. So you've got. Lots of big money on both the left and the yeah. right. Uh, it's engaged in pushing their worldview, their 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 particular philosophy. A lot of these people want influence, no question about that. But they already have a lot of influence. They are at at, at that level. They are trying to push. They're they're in the war of ideas, and they want their ideas to win, and they win through various candidates. Hmm. So, and I guess that is just a form of communication, right? It's a right. You have the right to speech, and so you know. Well, this is that's, the big argument. Yeah, right? that's the big argument. Uh, the Supreme Court made a decision called Citizens United, which basically said companies and it, it reaffirmed that individuals have uh, a First Amendment right. And and just to be fair, the only speech that the founders really intended to protect was political speech. And and it turns out that's the most regulated form of speech Isn't out there. There's many thousands of pages of regulations yeah. and governing who can do what in this area of political speech. Do you sense that um, – are we going to push it so far financially in this election? Maybe that will generate the campaign finance reform that others have been looking for. I mean, at some um, point we're going to have to we're going to push it too far. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, the Supreme Court has been pretty resolute on the That's notion it. of uh, of political free political speech. Yeah, although it's clearly not free. So someone's paying a lot of right. money for it. What? Uh, um, where does this end? I mean. I guess I guess that's one of the problems with the candidates is they have to go raise money and go talk to people and shake hands and candidates' their- first job is raising money. They, every candidate will will tell you that they need to raise money. Um, I don't know where it ends. I think w- one place that it that it ends is somebody wins an election not spending two and a half billion dollars. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that it, that is probably grossly disproportionate to the amount actually needed to run a an effective campaign, and and some smart person is going to figure that out, and 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 the market will work. They'll, yeah. they'll, they'll win it with less money. That's right. Well, yeah. and, and it seems like with social media, also, I mean, there's other ways to do this. That might right. be smarter, and I guess you need the right message too. 
You definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, Barack Obama was a, was a genius. His his campaign uh, had a had an enormously successful campaign with social media and targeting voters. But they also had a package. Uh, he was a very attractive candidate who very much connected with uh, his base. What do you think about what's going on in the GOP? Anybody, any news this week that stands out for you? That uh, you know, oh, that's interesting. Well, there's a lot of uh, noise out there, yeah. <laughs> and to kind of get perceive the signal coming through that noise is is a little bit hard. But what it does look to me like Rubio is starting to distinguish himself a little bit in the in the polls and the way the commentators are talking about him, and you know, expressing some sort of surprise that he's breaking out of the pack. Now, the pack that he's breaking out of is really, I'll call it the freshman Senate pack. <laughs> yeah. he, he seems to be. Uh, making a pretty good move. Rick Perry's trying hard, but it doesn't seem like he's yeah. Isn't catching... Rick Perry under uh, an investigation or something? There's something he got in trouble for. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't personally yeah. think it'll come to anything, but it, but somebody said he was oh, using his office in an improper right. way, yeah. and there's there some investigation yeah, for that. Yeah, that was weird. What about Scott Walker? I mean, he's he's a governor and seems to be... Uh, well liked. Yeah, so he's the person against which I think everybody. Well, you've got Jeb Bush is out there by himself. Uh, we, I'll come back and talk to him yeah. about him in a second. But but Walker sort of started out owning the conservative space, and really was everyone challenging him. But all these people are at best in the low double digits yeah. and and some single digits. I think the the big story is. That Jeb Bush is not able to close it out, just basically do what, what Hillary did or what his brother did uh, when he ran it. Uh, he basically just closed everybody out. And it's clear that Jeb does not have that kind of clout. And we haven't seen the last of it. I'm totally convinced at this point, having read a couple of uh, interviews with John Kasich last yeah. week, he's going he's gonna to announce. He's going to get in. It's just going to be a question of what, what he thinks is the right – Time to get in, and and he will be very formidable. So we'll really have two or three potential or or governors, um, Kasich and Walker and Jeb Bush, kind of side, and mm-hmm. then a lot of the freshmen, junior. Well, they're not freshmen anymore, but the yeah, junior yeah. Uh, senator kind of thing. Well, and Perry was a governor. Oh, and Perry, and it just depends yeah. on whether his he can catch fire or not. Yeah. What, what's your take on Carly Fiorina? So uh, would you? You know, I think she has zero. Let me just start. She has zero chance of getting the nomination. Uh, But you know, she's very smart. Uh, She's you know sort of uh, wickedly direct. I mean, she she comes up with some really clever comments, uh, and she's a woman and who's who's done. Quite a lot. She's she's connected. Yeah, she's connected with a lot of conservatives more than I would have thought. Yeah. so yeah, yeah, but I I just I I can't see her getting any traction. You, you, the, we've only had one. Well, yeah, I guess you had Dwight Eisenhower, but he won World War II. Uh, so <laughs> a little it, it's pretty rare though that somebody just comes from completely yeah. outside the system. It might and, be nice having her in the race too to to have a female. So it's not just kind of a bunch of men, right? Right. Trying to beat up Hillary Clinton, it would be you know a female taking her head on. Well, and that's what her – I think that's her self-described role is mm-hmm. uh, wanting to be that person. Do you – how do you um, – I mean how do you see this going? I guess I, I, many of these are probably in the race. Do people want to be vice president? 
some people want to be vice president, and but of course to say that is to they be would, death. Yeah, so, yeah. so no one will ever actually say that. But as it turns out, looking over the whole history of the United States, the best way to become president is to have been vice president. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the way. It's lots and lots. It's and not just through death. Lots of uh, lots of vice presidents end up becoming president. Yeah, and um, so it's not such a bad gig, notwithstanding a lot of people. Have said it's a really bad gig. It's, yeah, it's, like, it's a horrible gig. Did, what do you think? Uh, did you see the White House correspondence dinner? Did you see any? So of I that? saw pieces of it. Yeah, that to me is such a strange deal. They beat him up. They beat the president up for every year, all year. They're chasing him. They're hounding him. I guess they're also sometimes carrying his water. But um, then they all go chum it up, have a really great dinner. Everybody laughs together. Yeah. And then they – and the president turns into a comedian and it doesn't matter because all of a sudden every president com- uh, has got a comedy routine. What do you feel about that? A well, journal- you're a journalist. I mean you're yeah. an editor. I would say that um, that that particular crowd is mostly Democrats worshiping other Democrats. I, I, I didn't – don't I don't get a sense out of that crowd that, that these – just – they really would harass a Republican president. There's very little harassment of Barack Obama by this crowd. Yeah. I mean, it's his crowd. He was he's talking to his his, uh, his, his people. people, and uh, so it was I mean, that that I, I guess the two observations, and they're not really big original observations. One is. Uh, it had a little bit of a flavor of fiddling while Rome burns when you had just a few miles away, literally Baltimore in flames yeah. over uh, another uh, racial uh, incident. Uh, and so you had this sort of glitzy, That's you know, weird. That's true. Uh, people in tuxedos sort of joking away. The other thing is the president seemed, notwithstanding that they had lots of friends in that crowd, Kind of bitter, a little, yeah. a little bit bitter. There's a little bit of a bitter edge to uh, to a number of his comments. Yeah. Uh, I, why? I, why is he doing a correspondence dinner? I mean, there's other there's other groups, I and mean, maybe he does the dinner every year, but we don't hear about it. But I mean, no, that happens every year. Does that, it? That, that, this thing happens every year. Yeah. It's not but a, it seems like we ought to be having more dinners with Congress, with. Uh, with staffers from Congress that are making so much work. I mean, yeah. why, why are we celebrating uh, correspondence every year? Yeah. Well, it's a, the whole thing is a self-congratulatory <laughs> yeah. deal. I've, I've actually gone to one of them myself uh, some years ago. But it's all very self-congratulatory. We're all kind of important people. Like mm-hmm. we have the important elected people and then we have uh, the uh, all of us. Of course, the media is – immensely important especially in their own eyes so yeah so you you uh yeah it's a big exercise in self-congratulations and it's part of the game i guess yeah. huh but you're right he should be spending more time with congress but that is highly unlikely i yeah. think he's written off he doesn't really even get along well with the democrats in congress so let alone the governing parties <laughs> who do you sense is uh, has been one of our best presidents at working with congress recently in recent time, well, I think the the two best examples of that actually are Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton. They they both worked well with uh, opposite party congresses and uh, got an enormous amount of their objectives accomplished in, in both cases. So, you, you, you had a, a a case where Clinton was pretty much repudiated after his first two years, yeah. 
And instead of doing what President Obama did, which is just basically turn his back on the whole Congress thing, said, OK, let's, let's sit down and make, make, make some deals here. And he made some big deals for which he gets a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last time the budget was balanced was when, uh, uh, oddly enough, Bill Clinton and John Kasich, chairman of the Budget Committee, right. did balance that budget. And he gets a lot of kudos for that. And he should get a lot of kudos yeah. for that. So, yeah, he, he's, he took the – Lemons and made lemonade out of it. Uh, it's something about the governor, though, too, because it seems like governors have to, in the state level, probably work more closely with their legislature. Right. Senators' uh, senators' main job is to be worshipped by 29 people. <laughs> uh, very few people tell a senators, you know, that's, that's a pretty stupid idea, senator. Yeah. But every day – People tell governors that's a stupid that's idea. A stupid idea. And, and they have to be in the face of the people. Yeah. For them to be successful, they have to work with all manner of constituencies, not the least of which is the legislature. Yeah. So even in states like Utah where everybody's a Republican, uh, the governor still has to work with the legislature. Right. It doesn't always work out well. Same in, in, in New York where everyone's – most of the time what people are Democrats. It's, you have – even within the same party, you have different political tensions that you have to work through when you're a governor, oh, yeah. and you don't have that uh, uh, as a senator. Do um, do you have anything that's top of your mind? What uh, anything else we need to make sure we talk about today in the political realm? No, but I would just say a shout out to the horrible situation in in Nepal. Oh, it's just tragic, a, isn't just it? A, a amazing. Uh, Tragic. I've just been following that. I have a friend who has a son that's over there right now, oh, no. and, and so I've been following that. Um, I would say sometime it's not 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 now, but you, and you've talked about it on your show quite a bit. But I I guess I worry a lot about religious liberty. Yeah, uh, there's an increasing number of academics and people in power centers who regard religion as something that's okay as long as it's done by consenting adults behind, behind closed doors. Uh, and but, but you shouldn't have a right to, to talk about your religious beliefs publicly. Yeah. I, I just feel it's sort of a coming – not coming. It is an increasing chill yeah. coming over the whole notion of, of religious freedom and that – it's the first freedom. It's the first freedom in, right. the, in the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment. So um, – Yeah, let's do that. Let's do a show on that. Okay, then go read up. I'll read up. But don't worry, I'll read up on it. Because <laughs> that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff to know there. Well, Joe, we appreciate you again. Uh, he's our Washington insider. Go to the website Fuel Freedom Foundation or fuelfreedom.org dot is the website, and just read about the great work that they're doing there. Uh, by the way, a charity that doesn't make tens of billions of dollars or hundreds. <laughs> um, just uh, trying to make it work and make our lives better here in the United States. Folks, we're going to take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with more ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting stuff, I'm telling you. You know, politics, it's just, it's just crazy. It's fun to have Joe uh, come in, too, because he he really just knows so many people and knows what they're talking about behind the scenes. 
Anyway, Hillary, I think, needs to come out. We didn't get into this, but she needs to come out and just she needs to address this stuff. She sent her people. Lanny Davis has been all over. John Podesta has been all over the news trying to talk for her. But at some point, just, you know, come on. Let's just quit this dancing. Come on. I can't handle this forever. Hey, um, uh, remember, on uh, today's show, um, we, we're we going to be getting into a bunch of other topics uh, later uh, in the next couple hours about stress and things like that. Before we do, let's just uh, quickly capture a few more headlines. Uh, any new news, by the way, that you've seen on Nepal? Anything? Uh, the numbers keep moving, but... Uh... It's just probably slow information coming in. 3,800 deaths is the number that's sitting there now. It's going to continue to grow. But. An, an interesting fact as well uh, is is that they actually had scientists come to Nepal a week before this happened to assess the, the conditions of what would happen in, a, in an event of a huge earthquake like this. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and the, the scientists were saying that what happened uh, this weekend – was exactly what they had predicted what would, what would happen. It's just kind of jarring to see yeah. that, that if this they, was a you thing. Know, if they'd had a month to get more information yeah. out, figure more stuff out. Yeah. That's tragic. Oh, I mean, irony, I guess. Sad. Um, uh, anything, any other headlines we need to be watching for? Uh, there was some Brian Williams news over the weekend. Yeah. He's been kind of incognito. Yeah, trying to just off <laughs> stay the, out of the picture. Staying out of the picture completely. Uh, an internal NBC investigation of Brian Williams reported found several more alleged allegate or exaggerations. Mm-hmm. Aren't they up to like thirteen? They found ten or eleven more. Yeah, half dozen, <laughs> whichever. But I mean, uh, yeah. So it's uh, February. They suspended him, and uh, they're still. It, it seems like they're building their case to just let him go, to just make a clean cut, and we'll see you later. Really? Because it just seems like they're. He's been on multiple programs. He was, they're saying now he was on David Letterman. That that, that initially came out where he's, he was talking about his time with yeah. uh, Hurricane Katrina. And now it's, he's been on The Daily Show with some more things that they found to be untrue. Uh, even so much as just about a year, year and a half ago, making more out, more exaggerated comments about things. So not looking good there. And uh, they'll complete their investigation expected – there's no timetable, but they'll probably cut ties before his suspension is over. Hmm. Uh, we learned more over the weekend about uh, Comcast and Time Warner Cable and how they yeah, – uh, they, they, they Comcast, split that off. Comcast walked away from the merger. We're not doing this. There was reports that the Justice Department was ready to set up an antitrust investigation. Oh, no. So they – oh, okay. That's a little yeah, bit more anyway, than just you know, people – We're not, done with that. Apparently, they uh, spent $32 million between the two companies trying to uh, lobby the government – to uh, make the merger go through. And oh, really? That was all for naught. Uh, so that money was completely wasted. But uh, it does show that uh, lobbying doesn't always work. No. You kind of get the idea that if you have enough money, you can push whatever you want through. And in this case, that didn't happen. Jeez Louise. Uh, Joe Cannon talked briefly about the uh, protest going on in Baltimore. Yes. Over the uh, death of Freddie Gray. Uh, a week ago, after a day after peaceful protest, this was on uh, Friday, Saturday, things got more violent. Demonstrators smashing police car windows, blocking traffic, screaming killers at police officers. The Orioles-Red Sox game, the fans were asked to stay at the stadium as a result of the protest turning violent. They didn't want to empty a stadium into that mess and just cause a bigger problem as people were trying to get to their cars and all that. And they still haven't – they don't – they still don't have – the family still doesn't have the body. They still don't know any more information. The investigation is ongoing. 
And uh, the, as the most police off police departments, they don't comment while they're investigating because yeah, right. they're not done yet. Six officers, in, uh, minor injuries in the protest, 35 people arrested. Uh, approximately 1,200 people were marching in that protest. Hmm. So, uh, Meanwhile, there's a, the press meeting at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Yes. So that's going on. The earthquake's going on. and people It's were, crazy time. Now, I don't. It's hard to point fingers because you have an event. You're just supposed to cancel it. Well, I don't you're know. Supposed to not because I, mean, I mean, last year Obama was up there having his, his, you know, doing his comedy routine as you were talking yeah. about it. At the same time, he, they were killing Bin Laden. So right, right, and I guess go do something. It's Baltimore. It's 30 minutes away, 40 minutes away. Go yeah. hold a meeting. Go show up. Not not where they're rioting. Right, but go. Show up. Go meet with the family. Go. That's where you can't. He injects himself but all it, the time. Well, yeah. Go inject yourself into this. But then he gets the criticism of an injecting. But he's getting injected again. either way, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know how he can win. Is kind of my my thoughts there. Um, let's see. What else do we have here? A grandmother, eighty-seven-year-old grandmother in Illinois. Yeah. At a casino. This was uh, two thousand eleven. Thought she hit it big. Uh-huh. She was like scored. $41 million big. She thought that. The display in front of her on the machine 41 said $41 million, million dollar jackpot. Uh-oh. What the happened? casino came back and went, no, that's not that's not uh, right. That's 4100 That was a glitch. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was a glitch in our electronic. Apparently, the upper end of this machine was $10,000 was the biggest jackpot. It's a slot machine. Yeah. Right? They don't give massive jackpots usually off that type of machine. Especially at this establishment. It went all the way to the Iowa Supreme Court. They ruled Friday that uh, she didn't hit a jackpot no matter what the screen told her. Uh, apparently the rules are written right on the side. Yeah. So they said this Nobody's is, reading the rules. This is how big it – but she had big display telling her how big it was and it just – that's not the case. So she did not get her, did, her jackpot. How sad for her. Did she get ten grand? No. I think she got a dollar eighty-five. Now she gets attorney's fees. Yes. <laughs> Always read the fine print on the slot machines. Uh, we're going to take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show, trying to give you the tools, the ideas, the information you need to create your great life. We'll be back after the break. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you. I'm your life coach, your guide on the side. So good to be with you. And uh, today, a lot of uh, a lot of great, uh, I think, information is going to be coming your way. Do you live a fairly sedentary life? Do you find yourself sitting at your job a lot? Maybe only getting up to, you know, go to the restroom. Maybe go get a soda. Go talk to a few people. That lifestyle, folks, may be causing some serious impact on our mental health, our psychological health. We're going to be talking with Dr. Philip Holmes a little bit later. He is uh, the author of a study that uh, basically talks about how by getting up and moving, you actually can de-stress, decrease depression, 
but um, actually it changes your brain and how it works. We'll be talking with him in just a bit. Talking about stress, uh, James Birdsall. What is the countdown? Five days, and is it about six hours? Let me check. Five days. Eight hours. Eight hours, 12, 12 minutes, minutes, and 30 seconds for the yeah. wedding until the wedding of the millennium. <sighs> you, are you ready? Dude, this is it. Yeah. There's so many conflicting feelings going on right now. Yeah. Well, I don't know about conflicting. There's just a lot going on. So, you're, I mean, you're not conflicted at the choice. The choice was brilliant. It's perfect. Yes. You're still going to marry Haley. Kaylee. 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 Well, just that, you like, yeah. It's a huge step in my life. It's, you know, I'm ready for it to be done. I'm ready to be done planning things for the wedding. That's the sign that it's perfect (sighs) timing. Yeah. Because you're done. You're you're sick and tired. This is where you start thinking that eloping would have been easier. Yeah. (laughs) Have you thought of that yet? Well, yep. I probably will this entire week. I'm like, yeah, Yeah. I'll just do it right now. Uh, It's still, you know, everything's still a go. I got my tux. I'm fitted. Oh, great. Uh Uh-huh. Um looks good. Uh, I really like the powder blue. Yeah, and the ruffles. And the ruffles. Yeah. I, I wouldn't think that such a light, like, skyish blue would look great, but, you know, it does on me. That's the thing. I, I, try, I tried to tell you that it does look fantastic on you. And everyone's wearing sky blue, right, with ruffles. It's very in right now, yes. Yeah. Um, PowerPoint's ready. I'm locked and loaded. I, really? I've never had a speech this ready this early. Wow. I'm only waiting for two more videos to to uh, to put in, and then I'm good to go. Time wise, uh, the toast is about up to fifty three minutes. Okay. Uh, if I add this next video, it'll almost be. I'm trying to make it a cool hour. <laughs> so I've added two or three YouTube videos to the toast of my favorite YouTube videos. So are you going to start this right when the reception starts or a little bit further into it? Well, I was thinking – I'm trying to decide. Tango first or my keynote uh, toast first? Tango toast. Tango toast. I'm back and forth on it. Let me know. Yeah. I just wanted to say congratulations to James and – Move before you get into well, your show. You have a very small window. You have about yeah. five minutes. Yeah, I, I need to time as well. No, but if I, I need... get if I get caught, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy the evening as well as if I didn't. Well, but you're staying, right? Because I need somebody to run the projector. <laughs> I'm not producing your your toast or your keynote. Is no, this I've turning produced into. it. Well, I know, but okay, I just I'm need not going to run the machine. I'm not going to board op your your toast. How's that? Wow. It's a Saturday. I'm with my family. I'll have my kid with yeah, me. Yeah, it's my wedding. It's I, his wedding. It seems like it's the least you could do for James. It's not for James. That's this is tragic. about you, Matt. It's tragic. This is about you. It's going to be a great, great wedding. It is the wedding of the millennium. So, yeah. See, that, that's the best part is I think he's shielded you from the actual like nuptials. Yeah. You're going to be at the reception, which is kind of you know the after party. Yeah. So, yeah, well, it'll be a great – I'm going to be the after party. <laughs> well, in your own mind, yes. Um, I think it's neat that uh, Kaylee is – we've been practicing the tango a lot. Oh, OK. Yeah. <clears throat> About three hours a day. Oh, by the way, there was an address change for the reception. It's going to be in uh, Yellowstone National Park. Oh, really? Yeah. So we just thought it would be cool to have the ambiance of the geysers. Old Faithful uh, in yeah. the background. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So, because uh, uh, I'm picking Kaylee up to take her to the reception, <laughs> she's going to be with me. <laughs> oh, so I guess I'll be picking you up. Okay, 
Wow. So well, we got to leave earlier then if we're going to get it to Yellowstone. Well, anyway. You know what? Just just meet us there. Uh, no, I'm I, – Well, because you have to set it up and we're going to have to be like changing from after the wedding. So we'll, we'll meet you there. Okay. Lots of logistics. Yeah. It's scary. Are you scared? Yeah. You should be. No. Terrified. It's the biggest day of your life. You'll love it. It'll be fantastic. <sighs> Plus, you know, Kaylee will know how to tango. She'd better if you're it's practicing three hours a day. The dance of love. I've got to back it down because I'm starting to, my foot's starting to act up bad. So I don't want to be injured the day of the wedding. What are we going to do, by the way, when he's gone? What do you mean? Like, what are we going to talk about? Not the wedding? Let's have you call in on, on Monday after oh, the wedding. You right. call in and we'll, we'll just talk. We'll, do, we'll just do little birds all minutes. Be a solid 845. He'll be the coaching segment for the day. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, there you go. Let's have, let's have you call in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right. Thursday, Friday. I mean, you're not busy that week, right? <laughs> of course not. No. Just, you know, fantastic. Honeymoon, no problem. Okay, anything else going on? Uh, in accordance with our next guest, according to an annual survey by the Physical Activity Council, mm-hmm. approximately 83 million Americans six years and older did not, or six years of age and over, did not engage even once in any of the 104 physical activities recognized by the council in all of 2014. Wow. What percentage is that? So 83 million Americans, six years old and over, did not engage in one of the 104 physical activities recognized by the council in 20, you know, like running, (laughs) walking. walking. Yeah. Yeah, bending over and picking up a pencil. There's 104, and it says that 83 million Americans didn't do any of it. (laughs) That's nearly 3 million more sedentary people than 2013. That translates to nearly 28% of the American population being sedentary last year, which is the highest level of inactivity reported by the annual survey since 07. Amazing. That's crazy. See, that's why we've got to fix this. We'll We'll talk about that later with Dr. Holmes. You know, not Sherlock, but Philip V. Holmes will be Philip, joining us. It's his great-great-grandson. Yeah. Uh, the White House is reportedly going to change its policy and allow families of American hostages to pay ransoms to foreign kidnappers, including terrorists. Hmm. ABC News reported that those families will no longer have to fear being prosecuted for aiding terrorists. See, Europe, Europeans allow the families to negotiate or do whatever they want to do. And, and, here, and, and here we've kind of said you can't do that. I don't know. It's a little weird. It's, I mean, again, I guess you're just going to promote more of it, it seems like. But you got to get your kid back. Yeah. And at, at that point, you, you you forget who's actually you're dealing with. You just want your kid back. All right. And I understand that. Secretary of State John Kerry and his Iranian counterpart will meet this week for the first time since they laid out the framework for a nuclear deal earlier this month. The two men will meet in New York today, part of some other U.N. meetings they're attending. The Senate is likely to vote on a bill giving senators some oversight over the deal being negotiated by Iran and the U.S. plus five other world powers. The bill passed out of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee with a nine-to-nothing vote last week, but Republicans filed a number of amendments that would strip away support from Democrats. One of those amendments, a provision requiring the Obama administration to certify that Iran's leaders publicly accept Israel's right to exist. Huh. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. they need to make you know make Iran say this so that we'll pass the deal here. And that's not going to be said. No, 
So the AP calls that a nearly impossible mandate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're right, they're arch enemies. You don't just change that with the U.S. saying you got to if you want us to loosen sanctions. It's more complicated than that. A uh, suspected burglary attempt in California went awry last week when authorities said the man got sidetracked by tater tots. <laughs> a homeowner in Petaluma, California, went downstairs Thursday afternoon, found an unfamiliar man identified by police as James Adams asleep on her sofa <laughs> after he apparently enjoyed a snack of frozen tater tots. This is from the San Francisco Chronicle. After calling the police, she tried to leave the house but accidentally woke the man up. He was later said to have had a long criminal activity and was apprehended by authorities as he tried to leave the house. Did he cook the tater tots? I, it says they were frozen and he enjoyed them, so I'm going to say yes. I don't know how you could enjoy frozen tater tots. That's kind of gross. Well, I don't know how you could rob a house, fall asleep on the couch. <laughs> well, he had some tater tots, got full, took a nap. Oh, that's uh, you know, obviously a college student because <laughs> those guys will eat anything. That is so interesting. You're robbing and you're like, I am starving. You know what sounds good right now? Tater tots. Does he eat tater tots in the freezer? You look because oh, if he ba- if he bonus. cooked them, what does that take? Half hour to cook your tater tots? Unless you microwave them, ah, then they're soggy. But mm, hey, you know what? They're fast tater tots. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so what, how'd you why'd you get arrested? Ah, tater tots. Tater tots. I couldn't refuse the tater tots. All right, folks, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Doctor uh, Philip V. Holmes about a study. That basically tells us you want to ex- you want to reduce your stress in life. You got to be moving more. Movement changes our brains. It changes our chemistry. Changes a lot, and it improves our health, both physically and mentally. More on this subject after the break, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you know, have you just noticed you, you've you created a little, uh, not laziness, but a more sedentary life where you're not walking around, you're not moving around as much. You get in your car, you get out of your car, you go into your office, you sit in your office, you get up at lunch, you go in your car, you eat, you come back. You know, you ever notice it's just between your car seat and your work seat? And your home seat. (laughs) One thing in common, your seat. So on the show today, we wanted to talk to an expert who's doing some pretty, uh, I think, interesting, groundbreaking type of uh, research where we're finding out the importance of exercise and just to keep moving. Basically, according to the Mayo Clinic, one study found that adults who spent four hours in front of the screen had a nearly 50% increased risk of death from any cause. And about 125% increased risk of events associated with cardiovascular disease, such as chest pain or heart attack. So we know it impacts us physically. Did you know it also might be um, impacting you emotionally, psychologically? Dr. Philip Holmes joins us. And Dr. Holmes is a professor of psychology in the Franklin College of Arts and Sciences. Dr. Holmes, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Great to have you on. And so teach us, what, what's, uh, what's going on with your latest research? What are you finding out about exercise and stress? So we've been studying uh, the protective effect of exercise against the deleterious effects of stress. 
So we are looking at how exercise protects the brain from some of the cellular and molecular changes that uh, stress um, produces in the brain. And we're also interested in how exercise promotes resilience to stress-related behaviors and stress-related disorders like anxiety and depression. Oh, interesting. So um, it, exercise, we used to just think, as I got it, that it would create good chemistry and the chemistry would make us feel good. So that would get rid of you know some stress and some anxiety and depression. But you're actually finding out it's different than just a feel-good chemical. Sure. And, and that's happening too. So there are probably a variety of different neurotransmitters that are influencing our mood acutely uh, after we exercise. So most people have heard about the the runner's high or beta endorphin, and that's received a lot of attention. But right. it's important to recognize um, that there are a lot of other changes happening in the brain, and, and we're looking at actual structural changes that happen in the brain and uh, with exercise. And these, these changes are, are mediated by a class of molecules called trophic factors. And you can think of trophic factors as sort of the fertilizer for brain cells. They, they promote the, the growth and survival of neurons. Uh, and so what we've shown is that um, by inducing some of these trophic factors, exercise can protect the brain from the deleterious impact of stress. Hmm. How does it change our brain? How does exercise impact our brain structure? Well, we, for um, our latest experiments, we've shown that that stress can actually decrease the number of synaptic connections in particular parts of the brain. We've been focusing on the prefrontal cortex, which is really important for regulating emotions. And so what we found in our studies is that uh, the stress will actually decrease the number of these synaptic connections. Mm. Um, Exercise prevents that. And we think that's working through an increase in the expression of various trophic factors. And we've been focusing on a particular trophic factor. It's a peptide called galanin. It's one of many trophic factors that, are, that have very important functions in the brain, but we're focusing on this particular molecule. So let me get this straight. So by exercising, I, I guess I have a higher level of galanin? Correct. And then that impacts my brain because it strengthens my, synap- my connectivity and my synapses. Right, exactly. And then that translates to at the behavioral level, that translates to protection against the, uh, the emotional impact of stress. At least that's our hypothesis. Does that help me not react as much to my kids? Uh, yep. Because well, it, it, I can control my executive functioning and, and stay, you know, count to 10. and Exactly. Get or in, at least yeah. maybe it'll help you to react in a more adaptive way. Okay. Yeah. So really, anytime somebody's feeling stressed – um, there's some there's there there might be some minute damage going on in our synapses. That's correct. Yep. So we know that chronic stress can actually um, produce long-term structural changes in, in some vulnerable brain areas. So as I mentioned, the prefrontal cortex may be one of those structures. A lot of research has, has focused on the hippocampus, uh, which is very vulnerable to to the long-term impact of stress. And so um, by exercising you, and, and hopefully by increasing the levels of these trophic factors, you can protect against that, that impact. Hmm. And, and you're not working for, the, for Nike, right? You're, no. Because <laughs> I mean, it, it always makes sense that we should exercise. But really, this is, we're, we are animals that have, and we're, we're beings that have been used to moving and keep moving as a means of managing our stress. 
That's exactly right. And and as you pointed out in the introduction, uh, the uh, we've become very much more sedentary in just a, a couple of generations. So if you think just a few generations back, our grandparents and great-grandparents, they were much more active than we are now. Oh, yeah. I mean, just running uh, on the farm, right? You had to get out, get the water irrigating. I mean, it's... Exactly. So what are some things, as as you look at it, like how how has this just changed your own life? This research has got to be impacting you personally. Um, Well, I'm really just fascinated by the basic neuroscience of it all, and I'm fascinated by the fact that something as mild as as exercise, just um, and most of our research is, is focusing on voluntary exercise in in rats because we need to work with the rats to look at the cellular molecular changes yeah. that are happening in the brain and so um, something as simple as giving a rat an activity wheel and letting it run on that activity wheel for a few weeks causes these profound changes in the brain huh. and so that tells me that sure exercise is good but it's also it doesn't have to be a lot of exercise and it may have to do more with just the environmental enrichment that exercise produces. Yeah, what, what do you mean by that? Just well, a change of scenery, probably. Yeah, and just getting out and being active. So nothing really activates the brain better than exercise. Uh, we, we tend to think that if we're reading a book and concentrating and thinking really hard, we're using a lot of our brain, and that's actually not the case. Hmm. So the best way to, to maximize brain processing in all of the different systems that are working um, to, to maintain behavior, exercise is the best way to do that. And so, um, and so in that sense, exercise is like a really good form of environmental enrichment. And we, in our studies, we've shown that it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with how intense the exercise is, um, because all of our exercise paradigms in our rats are voluntary. They just get on the wheel and run. Hmm. And so uh, it doesn't, um, my interpretation of, of those results is that it doesn't really have to be that strenuous. Yeah, you just have to do something. Do, would we historically have just done this naturally? Exactly. We would just naturally go for a walk. I mean, just naturally, we would have just done it because we needed to eat. Right. But yep. um, would we, like, what was happening to us 20, maybe 30, 40 years ago before this, this um, before we really started becoming more sedentary, would, would, would we physically feel like, I just need to go for a walk? Right. I think that's the case. Yeah. And if you look at the the increase in the incidence of stress-related disorders and other neurological disorders, they have steadily increased over the last um, few decades. Yeah. So th- there are a lot of hypotheses for why that's happening, but certainly our more sedentary lifestyle has to play a role in that. That's interesting. It really, I mean, in a way, it's kind of, it seems intuitive. It seems natural. And, um, you know, we've always known that exercise helps us. But, man, right. we didn't know on this micro level of the brain and the synapses. We didn't know about galanin. It, I mean, this is all relatively new. Yes, it is. There's, a, there's been a, a good body of, of research uh, for a couple decades now focusing on a variety of different neurotransmitters and uh, different trophic factors. But um, our work on galanin and its link to exercise is, is new. I mean, it's fascinating. It truly is. Let's take a break. We're talking with Dr. Philip Holmes, again, a professor of psychology in the Franklin College of Arts and Sciences. Um, He also chairs the neuroscience program of Biomedical and Health Sciences Institute. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, continue the discussion about our mental health 
and uh, and exercise. The correlation there. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, if you've noticed, you've become a little more sedentary. Uh, new information, new evidence suggests that uh, we probably need to pick up our game, folks. It's go- it's impacting our brains. Um, it, there was a recent survey that came out by the Physical Activity Council. Approximately 83 million Americans, six years old and over, never engage even once in any of the 104 physical activities recognized by the council in uh, all of 2014 not even once did they choose just one activity that uh, that you know might provide physical activity and, and uh, improve a little bit to their health and today we're learning about it might also improve their brain functioning joining us is Dr. Philip Holmes who is a professor of psychology in the Franklin College of Arts and Sciences he also chairs the neuroscience program uh, of the Biomedical and Health Sciences Institute. Dr. Philip Holmes, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Good to have you back. And as, we, as we've been talking about it, really what we're trying to do is, is keep – by exercising, um, we want to keep the fertilizer for the neurons going. One of those fertilizers I believe is galanin. It's a peptide that is produced while we're exercising and that goes and kind of it just it helps our it helps our synapses fire better and uh, and and um it just sustains better mental health and and physiology in the brain is that am i accurate there yep that's right and it actually uh at a more basic level the exercise um actually turns on the gene for galanin so you have higher levels of expression of that gene hmm. Um, so when we look at the messenger RNA encoding the gallon, and we see that that's elevated, so presumably it's going to be a fairly long-lasting benefit for as long as that gene is switched on. Now, is it so? If we exercise and then we quit exercising, that gene will still stay on for a while. Hopefully, we don't know exactly how long it'll stay switched on, but we do know that there's a a good relationship between the amount of exercise, and the levels of messenger RNA, which reflects gene expression. Okay. And you're not even saying we need to do like strenuous workout. We're not, you're not even getting into aerobic versus non. You're just basically talking about movement. Exactly. And I, so I would uh, recommend that even brisk walking is going to have some benefit. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, as much as you can. So because we do see that relationship between the amount of activity and the galanin levels, it tells us that um, any amount of exercise is going to be beneficial. Does more exercise help even more? It should, uh, but presumably at some level it's going to plateau. And, and, uh, and, it's, and the, the brain regulates, very closely regulates these trophic factors. Too much of these trophic factors can be a bad thing. Huh. So the, the brain is always going to have some sort of shutoff mechanism to make sure uh, none of these systems get out of hand. So there's going to be some optimal level. Is there uh, – is there? Can you, I guess it's almost just seems like, yeah, if my brain could get better and better feeling by just exercising more, I would just continually keep doing it. 
Right, right. And that's, that's probably uh, how uh, uh, the, activity or the activity levels we need to survive have, have evolved based on the, the rewarding aspects of exercise. And, and this would actually reduce what the stress we feel. Is, is, that, is that one of the outcomes of this is my brain would process stress hormones better? Yeah, it's processing the, the, um, the impact of, of stress throughout the brain. Um, the research uh, that we're doing has focused on this, this part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, and, um, and it's very important for regulating your anxiety or stress levels. It, it also is important in, in depression. And so we know that stress is going to cause cellular changes in the neurons in that part of the brain. It, it literally decreases the number of connections. And exercise can prevent that. So yeah. at, the, at the level of the, um, the structure of the neurons themselves, um, we can reverse that, that um, negative impact of stress. Because when you, when you are stressed, it, it, your brain is what makes the stress, right? Right. And right. the answer is also in the brain. It's just it's in two different parts of the brain. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's distributed throughout networks of the brain as well. So a lot of your brain is involved in the stress response. And so um, as this, this regulatory center for stress responses, the prefrontal cortex is, is gauging the level of your stress response and trying to figure out whether it's appropriate for the, for the uh, circumstance. Huh. I mean, it's, um, it's, it is an interesting thing. I, I think we think that, I guess, some people, you know, they just don't, they're not as stressed, but it might simply be, and they might not even know why they're not as stressed, but it, they just might exercise. That could be, yep. That may and, be the case. And all of a sudden, it gives them this, this big advantage. What are some other things, I guess, that we would be showing us that we might need, uh, the benefits of this gallon and peptide or exercise in our brain. Any other signs that we'd be feeling? Um, well, uh, so I mentioned depression. Yeah. Uh, so this this may be particularly relevant for preventing depression or even treating depression. We do know that exercise is an effective therapy for uh, depression. Hmm. So it's even comparable to pharmacotherapy to antidepressant drugs. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny. Where, yeah, I know. I want to exercise. I'm just too depressed. Yeah, so there's the that cycle, isn't there? That's the problem. That's the issue. And so if you could start small with, with just walking or if you have some sort of specific program that's tailored to your schedule, I think that's the way to go. Yeah. Are there other, are there other things that, um, that create the same effect or actually push more tro- trophic factors um, like it seems sometimes being social, getting out, having friends, does that do anything there? It should, theoretically. So I think it's really, it comes down to environmental enrichment. And some of those studies have been done. So if you're just looking at the, the effects of environmental enrichment in rats, um, just a matter of putting more stimuli in their cages or giving them more activities, which is um, it's like exercise, but it, as I mentioned before, it doesn't necessarily have to involve strenuous activity. Right. But if you just increase the activity levels in the rats and give them more uh, uh, stimuli to interact with, that also promotes uh, the, the expression of these trophic factors. Where do you think you're going to go next with your study? What's, what's the next thing to figure out? Well, one of the, um, the ap- potential applications of this is to look at galanin as a potential therapeutic. Hmm. So we're very interested in that. Uh, and I, 
I think that there may be some potential to develop drugs that work on the gallatin system as antidepressants. And the mechanism would be different from the standard antidepressants that we have now. Um, and that may show some great potential. And the mechanism would involve uh, promoting the, the structural plasticity or maintenance of the, the synaptic connections in those parts of the brain that are, are vulnerable in depression. Does it? I mean, I, mean, I guess what doesn't the these synaptic connections and the plasticity, isn't it the more we do something, the more it almost forms um, a habit? It forms a, 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 a channel by which it will more naturally just keep doing that. Right, exactly. And so if you want to treat a stress-related disorder like anxiety, depression, PTSD, you want to promote that plasticity in the parts of the brain that are regulating emotions. Hmm. Now, at the same time, part of the disease process may be um, having too much plasticity in those other parts of the brain that are actually responsible for the stress response. So structures like the amygdala, which is really important for your stress response, that may be showing too much plasticity or trophic activity. Yeah. So if you can... That's overstimulated while your prefrontal cortex is understimulated. Exactly. So that's, that's a very common model for what may be happening in anxiety disorders and depression. Well, and it seems like some of that, some of that can just be done through therapy through, you know, psychotherapy or coaching or just awareness. Right. And I think that's the common mechanism. So increasingly, we're realizing that this plasticity is fundamental in some of these disorders. Hmm. And you can change the plasticity through a variety of different means. So one may be pharmacotherapy, another may be cognitive behavioral therapy, and then finally, another one could be exercise. And we know all of those treatments are pretty much equally effective. Isn't that? I mean, we're 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 all coming to the same place, um, and yet it's yeah. You're finally getting data. It's just so interesting to me that just now we're starting to get more and more serious data about this. This is cool. It's a right, good. And the key is to look at the cellular and molecular changes in these brain structures. Yeah, and um, the the prefrontal cortex, I guess, really is what what it's it's a powerful tool that pretty much gets most of our most important things done day in and day out, doesn't it? Exactly. So it's responsible for the general executive functions and, and decision-making. But a big part of that is regulating our emotions. So yeah, that's where the amygdala. Yeah, exactly. you, got, you got to turn off that fight-or-flight-ish amygdala sometimes. And sometimes, at the right time. Yeah, right. You don't want to turn it <laughs> off right when the truck's coming. Yeah. That's, right. a, that's a great point. Uh, well, we appreciate your work. And uh, just, just, I mean, it's a hard topic to talk us through because we're kind of slow here. But Dr. Philip Holmes, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work. And uh, everybody, you know, it's just, isn't that amazing? It's eventually you might be able to have a pill that can do it. But right now, let's just exercise. Let's do psychotherapy. Let's start working on our brain, understanding that we have some choices here and um, and work on creating just the traditional word we throw out there. Create some habits. Um, but it's, it's a little bit deeper than that. We're going to take a break. Uh, I'm going to go to my coach's corner and give you some more ideas for how to handle stress with other people so you also can kind of avoid wa- and watch out for that fight-or-flight brain of ours. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So we've been talking about uh, the benefit of exercise to help us reduce stress. And Dr. Philip Holmes also just got into um, the fact that we, we can go in and manage this prefrontal cortex. I, I call that the higher brain. Uh, now, anybody, any real scientist wouldn't probably call it the higher brain. But we have this reactive brain. Everybody does. It's that fight or flight brain you mentioned, the amygdala. And then we have this prefrontal cortex, which is the brain that lets us make different kinds of decisions and helps us to predict a little bit better, um, you know, what's going to happen if I do such and such a thing. It's, it's really one of the powerful tools that helps us separate our responses from, from others. Um, and, and even it's really, I think, what makes us um, a little bit different from many of the, uh, the, the other uh, animal kingdom, right, in, others in the animal kingdom. Because when, when you think about it, um, I don't necessarily just have to go with a choice to be stressed. I mean, and a lot of us know that when you're starting to feel super stressed, you, you could just feel the feeling or you could also start to ask yourself, okay, well, what can I do about this? What can I do about it? And in a way, to me, that reminds me of the rat finally deciding, instead of just being stressed in its cage, just naturally deciding to get on the running wheel and just start running. And for some reason, after running, it makes us feel a lot better. There was um, some great research by a guy named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who wrote a book called Flow, The uh, Psychology of Optimal Experience. And what uh, he was studying is what is the key for these people? How come some people can take a stressful life and they can turn it into something that's motivating, that's exciting and interesting to them? What's the difference between those people that, that fall into a state of flow, a state of optimal being, and those that just suffer? And in all of his studies, what he did, it was fascinating. He, he hooked a pager, gave everybody a pager, and uh, the pager would go off randomly. When the pager would go off, each of the participants were supposed to stop what they were doing and go and fill out a form, um, basically a journal, telling what they were doing during the time. And then all of these journals would come back in, and they'd be, uh, they'd be able to assess them and encode them and figure out what drives people to feel like they're in a state of flow and what drives those that don't. One of the things that he found um, that was impacting – these people that felt like they were in a state of optimal being, they actually were tra- they were challenged. They were being stressed. They had something in their life that was stressful. So that's interesting news, right? So being stressed isn't a sign that your life is horrible. It's actually a sign that you know you have a great opportunity right now to create an optimal experience. But a lot of it is going to depend on what you do with it. So one of the things he found is these people were stressed, but they weren't just stressed doing a bunch of things they hated to do. They were stressed actually doing something they liked to do. So one of the differences, and this is to me the great benefit of having a prefrontal cortex because it allows us all to basically say, you know what? I'm stressed. Then I can get into my higher brain, my prefrontal cortex, and start to make something of the stress. He, our great uh, Dr. Holmes was just talking about that's a, a great time to go exercise. By exercising, you're going to create that galanin or actually spark that galanin peptide, which will kind of uh, grease the skids for your uh, synaptic firing and your synaptic connections, which will help you. It will make you feel different. It will help you feel better. And 
Another thing, though, that happens is when I get in my prefrontal cortex, I can also do a bunch of other things like I could ask myself some serious questions like what could I be doing right now to minimize my concerns, my stress? Or I could go back and I could go to my memory and think what was happening the last time I was feeling this stressed and what did I do that made it work and get better? Or I could start building a plan for how I can start acting on my stress. So each one of these are benefits of the higher brain and the prefrontal cortex. If you don't ever get into your brain and instead you're just upset and and keep stewing and thinking, and I get it that it feels like you can't get into that other brain, then you're setting yourself up and you're not going to create flow like Chick, Chick, sent, me, Chick sent Me High was talking about. So this is the, the three conditions that I basically teach that have to be there if you want to feel optimal and, and turn this around. Number one, you have to have an interesting challenge. So if you're super stressed, you probably just have challenges and you don't find them interesting. You just might be stressed about your work and be hating it and want to be done. If you don't find your work interesting to you, it's just going to be stressful. So what I'd go work on is find a way to make your work interesting. Even if your work is just paying for your other hobbies and beliefs and loves and and your family, then great. That's interesting because it's at least paying the bills. Um, If not, then you need to find a way to take your work and make it more interesting which might be changing your job. It might be you know creating other opportunities. It might be time to go get more training. It might be time to go get a degree, whatever you're thinking. Number one, then we have to have an interesting challenge. The second thing that Chick sent me high found is you also have to have a reasonable plan is what I call it. But you have to have um, – you have to have some type of predictable, uh, doable plan. A lot of people that feel stress – don't have a plan. And one of the reasons, if you remember, uh, our earlier guest was talking about the executive functioning of the brain. That is the part of the brain that helps us make a plan. And if we don't get into the executive functioning and instead we stay in the fight or flight brain, then we are not going to build a plan to get out of this situation or to improve the condition. So we need to get a plan. And by having a plan that's doable, we can usually find the peace we need to find. Or we could usually start leading to activity that might start to change our our brain and and what we're feeling. Does that make sense? So it's not enough to just have a really interesting challenge. You also have to have a fairly productive plan, a plan that will actually create results that you need. If you're – by the way, if you have a plan and it doesn't bring a decrease of the stress, it might be that the plan's not realistic enough. It's not doable. It's not predictable. So we need to have the plan and it needs to actually produce some fruits. If it's not something that's going to produce fruits, guess what? That will just induce more stress and your fight or flight will kick in again. Back to the, the higher functioning brain, it, it's designed to be a fairly smart engine. Your, your uh, prefrontal cortex can solve the problems of life. And I believe personally, your prefrontal cortex can solve your problems. It knows you inside and out. It it can build a plan, but you need to you need to work on it and um, overtly like start saying, okay, what's the number one thing I can do today to to start to mitigate this problem I'm having with my you know the leaky faucet in the bathroom? It stresses me every time I go in there. I think of water problems. I think of it, you know, rotting out whatever the the baseboards of the bathroom or whatever. That's stressful. Okay. That's a challenge. Do you find it interesting? 
not really. I hate it. I dread it. Da, 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 da. Okay, we've got to find a way to make it interesting. Uh, if all of a sudden it did rot everything out and you were spending ten thousand or a thousand dollars to fix your floorboards in your bathroom, would that be interesting? Now would you be more willing to look at this issue? Oh yeah, I don't want that. Great. Let's build a plan. What can you do today? Let's just turn the water off. That's the first thing we can do today. And if we go exercise that function, you're probably going to feel better (laughs) just simply because you did what you could do. You built a productive plan that would produce a result. What if you went in there and you couldn't turn it and it's not working and uh, that's okay. Now we've got to get a better plan. Maybe you could talk to a friend, somebody that knows plumbing. Maybe you know a plumber. Maybe it's time to call a plumber. Uh, I don't want to call a plumber for just one thing. Maybe we could call a plumber for four things. Let's go find three or four more things the plumber could come do really quickly around the house. Anyway, build a plan. The last key that they found in uh, in the book Flow and the psychology of optimal experience is once you've got an interesting challenge and you have a plan that produces results, then you need to have focused action on the plan, which means when I get home today after work, I need to go right in and immediately start focusing on getting that water problem solved. Find out where it's coming from. Spend an hour in there figuring it out. Figure out how to turn off that water. Get on YouTube. Read everything I can or watch everything I can about plumbing. Solve the problem. The research shows when you'll dedicate focused attention to a plan that's going to be productive on your problem or your challenge that's interesting, you're going to feel better. Now, what's so cool for me, and this is what I do every day when we're coaching people, That's all action. So I personally believe what they're eventually going to find out is not only is physical activity beneficial, I think what they're going to also find out, they've already found out that psychotherapy is beneficial to creating some some benefits in depression. I think we're going to find out that so is basically this coaching where we just need to go figure out what the challenge is, make a plan that produces results and start acting on it. And the mere fact you're acting on it, that action creates some of that same chemical benefit. Not just the neurotransmitters that make us feel better, but I'm going to believe also it's going to teach us how to create these more um, elastic, uh, you know, synaptic connections in the brain. I really believe it. I see it with my clients. So very simple problem. Think of your problem. See if it's interesting. If it's not, you better make it interesting. Physical, some of us don't have exercise habits yet. That's an interesting challenge. How are you going to make it more adaptable, more doable. Well, if I could watch Netflix while I do it, okay, that's interesting. Now you have an interesting challenge. You get to go watch, free of guilt, 45 minutes of Netflix, but you got to be moving your body. (laughs) Okay, treadmill. That's going to work. Great. Now, how are we going to do it? Four times a week. I don't even have a treadmill. Okay, so you got to go buy a treadmill or you got to go do something else, right? Go to the gym. Anyway, we build a plan. Once we build a plan, then we have to have focused action on it. I'll predict if you've got an incredible plan to fix your biggest problems and you're not acting on it, I'm going to bet you'll feel depressed. Folks, I do it every day of my life. I haven't had a more stressful life than the last four months. And it doesn't seem to be going away. So I need to build a plan. And this whole weekend, that's one of the big things I've been doing is building a plan to make it through this. And then I get asked, can you come speak for Mother's Day here? And can you – I get a funeral that I'm speaking at on top of all of these other things I'm already doing and I start to feel more stressed. So what's part of my plan? I've got to figure out a way. And it basically one of the things I've found that's saving me lately is just simply exercising. I used to hate it. But now I'm just noticing just a little – just exercise, just walking. 
starting to probably um, do exactly what our good doctor taught us earlier. I don't know, folks. It's just an idea. But uh, this is the coach's corner. Remember, we can't go do it for you. We will, but it'll cost you tens of millions of dollars. Instead, we'll just bring you the ideas. You put together your good life, and then let's uh, together go build it. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, do a little news headlines as well, and then we're going to be getting into your in-laws. Boy, sometimes the in-laws create some serious stress, don't they? Uh, We'll be talking to Kim Giles, one of our great uh, coaches. We'll be talking to us about your in-laws, how to improve the relationship, especially with Mother's Day coming up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show, the show where we give you the tools to live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. Again, we can't do it for you, but uh, we will give you some ideas, latest research. Today on the show, we'll be talking about your in-laws, how to keep your in-laws from being outlawed, and how to be a better in-law. That's the plan, Stan. Speaking of in-laws, James, getting married? Yep. Five days. Yes. Any questions that you want to ask the good old doctor? Um, I guess I can start composing a list. I would. Kaylee, Kaylee calls me two times a day, and we just do nothing but answer questions. Well, it's one of those things where I feel like I have so many questions that I'm just like inundated with questions, so I don't know what to ask. Huh. You know? Yeah, I'd write them down. Yeah, probably. Just write one by one. We've got five days. Because I still have a little bit of room in my presentation of the toast that I'd like to just throw a few more answers. You in. know, actually, I don't think I have any questions. I think every single question I could possibly have is answered, like almost to the point where I might not even need a presentation. No, it's, it's a toast. I mean toast. Yeah. Oh, no. You always need a toast from the best man. You always need a toast. Remember that. That's just great advice. Never – when someone says, let's have a toast, never stop a toast. You always need a toast. Even if it's an hour. Follow, I mean, preceding another half hour of the tango. Some say that you should start every single morning with toast. That's no, a different toast. Oh, wait, what? See, again, it's, you're learning. You're learning. You're wait, young. so you're not serving up like no. bread with no. fresh jam? <laughs> yeah. Who wants toast? That's what we yell at our house. Toast! Um, no, so you'll see. You're, but I'll be here for questions. And the neat thing about it, James, I'm not going anywhere. I'll be here for the rest of your life. Why are you laughing? I'm just thinking of the joy that's going to bring to my life, knowing that you are always Available there. for a call at 1 in the morning when you two are fighting. Perfect. Hypothetically. Never going to happen. No, it's probably true. Until it does. Until it does, <laughs> then I'll be there. It happens. Yeah. It's how you deal with it. That's it. Everybody fights or has some type of disagreement. Everybody does. It's just how you handle it. And I'll be there for you. Just the three of us. Awkward. 
Is that awkward? Moment? A little bit. Is it's he a still looking? Is he yeah. still looking? He's still looking at you. He looks mad. Awkward. Anyway, change the subject. Any headlines going on? Apparently, uh, relief flights are being turned away from Nepal. Yeah, it's probably swamped. Yes, 30,000 people stranded in makeshift shelters by Nepal's deadly earthquakes over the weekend are being uh, seriously stymied because relief flights cannot land at the airport in Kathmandu because it's not meant for that kind of traffic. It's kind of a small aircraft. Four aircraft from the Indian Air Force turned away, uh, sent back to New Delhi because of congestion at the airport. They could circle all day, but they'd run out of gas, obviously, right. and run out of fuel. So they're uh, they're looking for tents, dry goods, blankets, mattresses, every kind of medicine you could imagine, and uh, they desperately need it now. The rescue coordinators are saying is we don't have uh, the helicopters that we need or the expertise or rescue to to go after the trapped people. The death toll at uh, still stands at thirty eight hundred, more than seven thousand injured. Hmm. So that continues, but uh, seven point eight earthquake. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, our prayers are with them. That's tough. I mean, they're just so – they just don't have what you need. No. Just to begin with. Infrastructure to land an airplane. Mm. They can land the smaller airplanes, yeah. not the uh, the big cargo planes that come with all the equipment all the that goods. you need. So yeah. they may have to figure out a way to – and, you know, with the mountains in the area, it's hard yeah. to make any makeshift right. landing uh, strips there. So a new poll shows that support of the death penalty for Boston Marathon bomber Jokar – uh, Zarnayev has decreased in recent months among Massachusetts residents. It's now at 15%. That want the death penalty. That want the death penalty. So the vast majority would rather him just go to jail. Just go to jail. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, what do you do? It's it's a federal case, so it's not a, out of their hands. Yeah, but, it's not a local issue uh, on, on that level, but uh, I don't know. Apparently, with the way it's going to work, if one member of the jury decides that uh, death penalty is not where you know not what needs to happen then it's off the table it's so done. it's either an all or nothing yeah maybe when it comes the, yeah. to that uh the line to watch Tuesday's oral arguments for and against gay marriage started forming outside the Supreme Court on Friday it's like they're selling a phone or something <laughs> the justices will decide between two main issues should the states be required to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples and should they be required to recognize same-sex marriages performed in other U.S. jurisdictions? Interesting, which would make it so every state has to accept everybody's yes. marriage. everybody's marriage. It's a big deal when you think about it. It's, this, is, this is groundbreaking. That's why they're yeah. lining up, right? This is – people want a seat on this one. They want to watch what's going on. Hydroelectric dams in California are drying up. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, they need right? water. So no water. Yeah. So the power – then the hydroelectric dams can't power things, so the, the electric, electrical shortages yeah. will lead to that because they have well over 200 uh, hydroelectric generating plants in so California. So think that through. That's going to be a uh, – that's – everybody upstream from California is like, hmm. And those are very clean operations to, to create the energy, which right. means they have to go to coal, coal or other options to so find. So all the coal so. uh, states are like, uh, let us help you out. Yeah. You need some coal now? Need some coal now. And that's uh, obviously people aren't happy about no. that as they're going to. Uh, and the cost will go pollution. up. Yep, pollution cost goes, goes up. up. And then, you know, California's had in the past rolling blackouts during the summer, anyways. Well, plus now, now they're, they're, instead of having water in the pools, they are making pot la- or pot uh, um, planting sites. Did you see the news on that? No. Yeah, they just caught a really big. Uh, Racket going down, people illegally growing pot, I guess, in California. Which takes a, quite a bit of water. 
Yeah. That's but and we're doing e- it in an empty pool. Oh, okay. And then we just kind of cover the pool. Oh, it's probably good use of the space. So that's except they need the water. Oh, wait. Okay. Ah, it's such a catch, 22. Japanese prime minister arrives in the U.S. He arrived on Sunday. He'll be here for a week to showcase the success of the alliance built between our two countries after Tokyo surrendered after World War II. Uh, they'll promote our shared political agenda, the strength of our military ties. He'll visit with um, from Boston to Silicon Valley, all kinds of high-flying business people, founders of Facebook, Apple, Japanese scholars, celebrities. Mm. So you'll see him in the news as he bounces around from coast to coast. <laughs> Fun stuff there. There's a new Rubik's Cube record. Really? Saturday. Uh, like in time? Yes. Okay. Now, it's your standard 3x3, three three, which yeah. is the, what you yeah. – I mean, there's all kinds of oh, sizes. Yeah. The standard 3x3. Three three. Saturday in Pennsylvania, a teen set a new world record solving the cube in 5.25 seconds. What? Holy cow. I don't think I could pick up the cube that fast. <laughs> Colin Burns was participating in the final round of the competition. He's the current U.S. national champ. He's the first American record holder since 2006. The previous world record held by a Dutch teen was uh, 5.55 seconds. What's your fastest time? Never. I Well, it takes probably about an hour to pull all the stickers off and put them back in oh, the yeah. right order. Yeah. I actually just broke so, mine apart and then I could never rebuild it. I just took the stickers off. That was smart. Why are you breaking? Well, I think I tried to take the stickers off, but um, I think I tore a sticker. Last year, a robot yeah. made out of Legos finished it in 3.25 seconds. Oh, I hate Lego robots. Lego robots. They make you look so stupid. Do you know what I mean? Like, even the Lego ro- – I mean, that's a robot you could just kick over. You know what I mean? And just start jumping and break it apart. But it's just schooling you. And you know it's got that – Grin that Lego grin, yeah, that, that uh, smirk, yeah. It was in the movie. I saw it. <sighs> Frustrating. Two sisters, yes, stranded in the snow in remote Michigan. They managed to survive on Girl Scout cookies. Oh, see, I love the Girl Scout cookies and, and cheese puffs. But Girl Scout cookies get the headline. Did they? Thirteen days. Wow. How many cookies did they, they have? Had eight boxes of cookies. See that right there. Be prepared. <laughs> With oh, that's the, that's the Boy Scout oh, right, <laughs> or motto. So Girl Scout, just take the cookies. That's their motto. Lee Wright, 56, and Leslie Roy, 52, rescued yet after the police helicopter caught a glimmer of light reflecting off their windshield. Uh, they had recently purchased eight boxes of cookies before their trip, but they got they ran off the road and stuck in the snow, but they had food. That's great. So they rationed Girl Scout cookies. My question is, what would you like to eat for eight days? Uh, is prime, there a specific cookie rib. you want a prime rib type situation? <laughs> Any kind of snack food? Are there facilities? Oh, you're um, stranded in a car. Yeah. I'd still want prime rib. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you'd want a balanced meal. Okay. So some asparagus. So would you like room service while you're stranded on the side of the highway? Uh, if that's part of the deal, yeah. Okay. And, and I wouldn't mind a box or two of cookies. All right. But prime rib, some potatoes, some asparagus, beers. Mmm. Asparagus? Yeah. All right. Does that sound good? Mm. From Ruth's Chris. That's where I want it from. Do they deliver? You could call and ask. Yeah. That's what I want for dinner. And then just a light dessert. A little heavier than Girl Scout cookies, but lighter than, yeah, I don't want a heavy. Right. Like cheese puffs? Well, when you're stuck in a car for days, you don't want to be bogged down with a lot of. (laughs) 
You don't want to be inconvenienced while you're stuck in a car on the side yeah. of the road in the snow. All right. I understand. You, know, you asked. That's just what I, I want. I, I get what you're Can a guy from. not order and horseradish sauce, please? The creamy, please. Some primary. And some au jus. That'd be nice. Uh, if we're taking orders. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, Kim Giles is going to join us from Clarity Point Coaching. She's going to be talking about in-laws, how to uh, make sure that uh, you have a healthy relationship with your in-laws. If you are an in-law, how to make sure you don't blow it with your your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, if uh, if you are an in-law, if you uh, have in-laws, you know, sometimes it gets pretty tense with those relationships. And uh, joining us right now is Kimberly Giles, by the way, a very popular life coach, author, speaker, also named one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America back in 2010. So far, she has over 240 articles published in newspapers and magazines across the country. Also, go find her website, ClarityPointCoaching.com. Kimberly Giles, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. How are nice you? to be here. I'm good. Are, are you an in-law? You know, I, none of my kids are married yet, okay. so I'm not. So you're a daughter-in-law. Yeah. See, so it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a tricky thing. I have a son-in-law, fantastic. We just, uh, but it's it's a really interesting relationship because you don't want to step on their toes, but they also kind of want advice. But you don't want to advise unless they want advice. Help us. Uh, what do we need to worry about? What do we need to focus on when it comes to a better in law relationship? Well, I I think the problems start when we we start feeling offended or taken from on some level, either by the the person who married our child. And now we seem to, to not be able to spend as much time with our child because this person is ta- you know, taking yeah. over their life. So the in-laws start to feel threatened, and they start to experience some fear of loss. That's it. That, you know, we're, we're, we're losing this child that's been the focus of our attention our whole life. So that makes them start seeing this new spouse as almost the enemy. Yeah, and, and it's, it's it's not – they're not – you don't need to be enemies, right? We're, no. We all have the same goal here. We do. And, you know, I talk a lot about how fear affects our relationships mm-hmm. because I really believe that it's fear that makes us behave badly. Yeah. And and most of the time when, when bad behavior towards family members is happening in these relationships, it's because we're either fear, fearing loss where we're going to be taken from, we're missing out, we're being gypped on some level by this person, or we have fear of failure. And I, I, I hear this a lot from the, the daughter-in-law, especially, that, you know, she's trying to earn these these in-laws' approval, yet they, they kind of criticize her parenting and, and the choices, the way she's raising their grandkids. Mm-hmm. And so she gets insulted, and and most of the time it's this fear of failure on one side and this fear of loss on the other that are creating just really threatening, scary feelings between the family members. Well, and and if if I'm assuming if if I sense that my in laws are acting toward me with 
um, not even fear, because because they would it's feel fear. But maybe. yeah, yeah. Then yeah, then they'd be critical. They might be more controlling. They might be more demanding. Then I might then react to that in a way that actually induces more fear for them, and it just starts this spiral. Right, because you'll pull back. You won't want to spend as much time with them, and then they're going to feel that, oh, my gosh, now we're really losing. Yeah. So they might get even more controlling and pushy, and, yeah, it's a vicious cycle. Boy, we see a lot of it. It seems it's, like this is really common. It, it, no, it totally is. And, I, I mean, it's almost – and it's so universal, isn't it? Because it seems like – Maybe if it's a fear of loss, it's it's a fear of the fact that you know a parent has raised their child for twenty four years and now you're taking them. But it's almost like the parents more caught up in the past, trying to keep the past, than move to the future and the present. Yeah, it's, I think it's still that fear of missing out. Yeah, that they're they're losing something, and so they they just tend to get a little controlling and pushy. That kind of behavior when that's happening. I, I think one of the most important things for all of us to recognize that when you're having a relationship problem with any human being, understand that they're not a bad person. Yeah. Most of the time, they're not intentionally trying to hurt you. They're just scared. Yeah. And if you can see them as scared and understand what they're afraid of, you'll have a lot more compassion and you'll be able to handle the situation in a much different way. Isn't that powerful? I mean, really, because that changes your view of who they are. Instead of them being evil spawn of darkness, they're instead they're just afraid. They're they are afraid yeah. of losing something. Scared person. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah. So when you realize that, what you've got to know is that every human being wants more than anything to be respected, admired, appreciated, wanted, approved of. Mm-hmm. And your in-laws want that from you, and you want that from them. That's what we're all trying to get is a you know, sense of validation and, and acceptance and, and even some admiration, I think. Well, it's so hard to admire somebody that is acting out of fear in a way that feels like it's harming you. So we kind of have to rise above that insecurity. How do, how do we do that? Well, first, you've got to recognize that they're afraid they're not just a jerk. They're not not just mean. They're afraid. And and the way to solve this is by helping to give them what they need to quiet that fear. And if you do that, you're going to help them to be in a place where they can give more love and validation back to you. Now, obviously, you can't be responsible for this person's self-esteem. Right. um, But... A little validation and encouragement goes a long way to make somebody feel safer with you. And if they feel safer with you, they're going to treat you a lot better. Mm. I mean, really, you're not you're not asking for a lot. It's just you almost have to just overcome your own insecurity, ego. your own fear. yeah, your own ego, your fear. Yeah, and, and there, that creates such tension. I hear so many times. You know, a mother-in-law with a daughter-in-law, and they're fighting over attention of the son, and or the husband. And um, there's there's just it's it's just so hard not to want more. And you know what else I find, Kim, is a lot of times the the guy. Let's say okay, let's say it's a mother-in-law and a son-in-law, uh, and her yeah. son, the mother-in-law and the son, and she married he married um, his wife, but the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law are fighting. And the son just pretty much tries to stay out of it. Is there something that the son should be doing? Because he's the only common denominator. Yeah, and 
I really feel, and you, we'll see if you agree with me, Matt, but I really feel like it is the son's job to get involved. Oh, yeah. He's the one yeah. that has got to talk to his mother and say, listen, this woman's my wife. And she has to be my first priority. It has to be yeah, that way that's right. for us to have a healthy family. And so you've got to back off. You've got to accept her and love her. And he's the one that's got to really talk to both parties and get them to respect and honor each other. That's right. He, he can't stay out of it. And I know he'd like to be able to not be involved <laughs> in this drama. Right. Don't you think he oh, totally. To I think he has to step up. And I think, too, because he's he also is the one that knows both of them the best. And so he he can go understand the mom's needs, understand her fears of loss. Um, you know, he can go there and 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 understand it. And it doesn't also mean he, he can't still do stuff with her or be there. He just has to be smart about it and plan it and figure it out and open up the communication. I think that's why we hear more about mother daughter mother and daughter-in-law kind of arguing. I don't I don't always see as much and maybe it's I don't know, but I don't see it as much between a father-in-law and um necessarily a son-in-law. I don't know. I I, I just yeah, sense it's I different. It never happens, yeah, but I it's think just different. The, the mother-in-law daughter-in-law is a lot more more common. Um I I've got a couple of tips Yep. I would give to a, a daughter-in-law or a son in in that position. If, yeah, if you've let's hear got them. issues with parents or in-laws, maybe here's some things you ought to make sure you're doing. Yeah. Do you want to go through Yeah, let, give us a couple. We've got about one minute, and then we'll take a break and come back. Okay, so we talked about insist that your parents respect your spouse. You've got to be the one to, to insist that. Also, yeah. I think it's really important that if you're having problems with your spouse, don't take those to your parents. Yeah. Don't involve them in it. Because when you take negative feelings towards your spouse to your parents, you're, you're adding fuel to this fire that, that's going to hurt the relationship down totally. the road. I, I think get some professional help. You bet. Instead. So Don't true. Yeah. What's another one? Um, let's see. Be loyal to your spouse first and foremost. You've got to put your spouse first all the time if you want to have a, a healthy marriage. Um, communicate and set really clear boundaries with the parents because what often happens is we're not setting those boundaries. They're overstepping, and we're angry and resenting the in-laws for overstepping, but we haven't expressed what we want up front that right. that doesn't work for us. So I think we've got to be really clear in our communication. I agree, and you got to step out, and I think – yeah, you need to be bolder than you've probably ever been or, you know, encroachment will take place. We're talking with yeah. Kim Giles, um, again, from the website Clarity Point Coaching. We're going to take a break, come back, continue the discussion, continue getting more ideas as an in-law, whether son-in-law, daughter-in-law, or as parents for how we can strengthen these relationships. More with Kim after this break. To the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about uh, how to be a great in-law. And boy, there's so many, so many ways that this can go sideways. Um, it's a lot of tension, a lot of fears, as Kim Giles is talking to us. 
Uh, joining us is Kim Giles. She is a the uh, one of the top twenty advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America. Um, also was uh, you know one of our great favorites and uh, a contributor we rely on a lot. Go to her website claritypointcoaching.com. Kim Giles, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thanks, Pat. How you doing? You don't have you don't have you have in laws that your your spouse's parents. You don't yet have, you know, a child yeah, my married. My kids are just not in a hurry to get married. I know what is so, the deal? It's crazy. Down the road a little. It's really there's it's a beautiful thing. It really is. It's a beautiful thing. This in law relationship. It's also you just got to be careful. And you've already given us three great rules. For uh, you know the 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 married couple, here's some rules: insist that your parents respect your spouse, be loyal to your spouse, and communicate and set clear boundaries. Those are some great rules. What are some more? What are some more things we need to worry about? You know, one other one other thing I recommend if you're a daughter-in-law that I think goes a long way. Um, I I look for. All the things my mother-in-law kind of prides herself on being good at, being yeah. a good cook, being a good mom, um, and I ask for her advice. Yeah, and and most of the time, I I think we're we're we don't want unsolicited advice. Yeah, and and that kind of offends us, so it sort of goes against logic. But when I treat her like she's this wise, wonderful resource in my life, and yeah. I ask her advice, it means so much to her. Mm-hmm. And, and so I look for opportunities to do that. Now, having said that, I one of my first rules for a mother-in-law is that you never give advice unless they ask for it or unless you've at least asked permission to give it first. Yeah. I, yeah, you're I big on that. A mother-in-law would say, hey, would you be open to some you know, advice or suggestions on this situation, or do you want me to stay ahead of it and let you do it on your own? Uh-huh. And then you got to honor either way how your daughter-in-law feels, and don't put your advice on her unless she wants it. <laughs> it's it's a, that seems like a no-brainer, but it's not, yeah. is it? It's not. No, no. I think that's yeah. one of the biggest complaints I get is yeah. is this advice, and I it, it's an insult. Yeah. You know, but, you're basically telling your daughter-in-law she's too dumb to figure this out on her own, and she obviously is doing it wrong. So true. That's not going to help the relationship. It's so true. That's great advice. Never give advice unless asked or unless you ask for permission, you know, if they're interested. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say just let them do stuff their own way. Your your child and their new spouse, they're going to raise their kids different than you did. Their, yeah. their life is going to be different. You can't expect them to be you. And, and let them have that. This is their journey. And it's it's going to be perfect for them. So we've got to let go of expecting them to do things the way you did them. Yeah, but yeah, but you want it done right, Kim. <laughs> you want you really want it done right. That's what, so because it's it's such a different day and age, and you're blending two families. So you've got to blend two ideas, right? You got to blend stuff. Yep. That's um, so you hard. know, Doctor Phil once said, "Remember, mother-in-law, you're a guest." in their marriage and in their life, and you have to fold to their rules if you want to be welcome there. Mm. That's right. That's, that's great advice. It's so hard, though. So hard. It is hard. What, what are some more uh, little bits of advice for in-laws, for the mother-in-law, the father-in-law? Okay, so uh, another big one, I think, is don't be greedy about time. 
you've got to understand that this little family, they need time alone without any of the family. Yeah. They need time with the spouse's family and time with your family. And this basically means you're never going to get as much as you'd like to have. And so that's true. the way it's going to be. Get used to it. Yep. And, that's... Um, and, and understand that the less demanding and controlling and needy you are of trying to get their time, the more they'll actually want to spend time with you. Yeah, yeah. No one wants to be with somebody that's demanding and needy. Yeah, it really pushes them away. I think our, our fear often creates exactly what we're afraid of. We're afraid of loss, so we get controlling and, and needy, and that makes them pull back, and we end up getting exactly what we're afraid of. Mm. So Last true. Time. So true. What's another one? What's another rule? A little nugget. Um, let your child's spouse be their first priority. They're going to love you, but the new wife is supposed to be number one. Yeah. That's the way it's got to be if you want them to have a healthy marriage. And you need to actually even encourage that. So um, true. It like, mean you can't have a close relationship with your son still, but you've got to let his wife be number one. If it doesn't work out... They're coming home. Let it give it space. Give it space to work out. I mean, but they come home feeling like a failure, feeling like they, you know, they're broken and it's hard. And even if the divorce was healthy and right, they're still hurt and broken. And so give them space. I mean, you you can always advise them if they want advice, but also give them space to make mistakes and and let things happen. Yeah, do it their way. Um, I also hear from a lot of people that. I want my mother-in-law to respect our space. Don't don't just drop by unannounced. Don't walk into our house without knocking. Yeah. And um, I had I had a, a client whose mother-in-law would drop by and just start cleaning her house <laughs> without being asked. And basically, wow. she's saying you're a bad housekeeper, and I have to come over here clean yeah. for you. That's really overstepping boundaries. Now, personally, I think that's a great idea. I would love my mother-in-law to come and Come clean. on over. Don't you hate it when you don't have the mother-in-law that wants to clean your house? <clears throat> Maddening. Yeah. That's, ask permission. That's right. I, as long as she asks me, hey, can I do your dishes? That's so true. I, I would say great. That's so true. But we all, I also got a letter recently from somebody whose in-laws are buying the, the grandkids all of this stuff the parents don't want them to have. Oh, boy. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah, like really pricey um technology like, yeah. toys and stuff the parents weren't okay with. And and it's not like they can then take it away. No. <laughs> so I think as, as in-laws, you've got to make sure you're honoring their role as the parent and asking permission before you do anything for or with the, their grandkids. Yeah. We, we just don't. We don't. It's the boundary thing again. We don't really – we haven't clearly delineated the boundary. And, and then it's funny because one of you, like your daughter may, like my daughter may want us to be more involved as parents to her. I mean, as in-laws right, than we right. are. We, we we were thinking we were giving them space, but my daughter wants us more involved. So then what I'm afraid of is then we follow her lead and we go get more involved and then it creates more tension and then we distant. I mean, it's it's just, you got to figure it out. Well, maybe we just got to communicate a That's lot right. more. That's right. About Overtly, yeah. Like, what is this? Yeah, this is what I'm worried about: is stepping on toes, and yeah, it's yeah. so true. So here's an, this is an, a, a, seems silly, 
but I think I hear from this a lot. Daughter-in-laws would like you to not buy them home decor or clothes or those kinds of gifts because the daughter-in-law's style might be a lot different than yours. And it ends up being an issue that, well, you don't even, yeah. you didn't hang that painting we got here. Yeah, where's that painting? <laughs> just, just give your daughter-in-law gift cards yeah. and let her pick out her own stuff. So It'll true. be better on everybody. I never see you wear that moo-moo I bought you. Yeah, I'm not big into moo-moos. <laughs> not big into moo-moos. Hey, we got to go, Kim. Give us um, just the – what's the final word? What's the number one thing all of us should worry about, think about, pay attention to when it comes to our in-law relationships? Validate each other. Give compliments. Make sure you let them know all the things they do right. Show them that you appreciate, respect, and admire them. Invite them to things and and communicate that – but I think that validation both ways is yeah. to create a safer space where nobody feels threatened and you'll all get along better. Oh, that's a good one. Good one. That Kim works? Giles, you're the best. Thanks for all your Thanks insights. For me. You bet. Keep up so the great fun. work. And everybody, go check out the website, claritypointcoaching.com. Tons of information, articles, free assessments, evaluations. Go take fear assessments. There's all of these tools there. Plus her book. This uh, this is the real deal. We're going to take a break. Come back with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. As we like to do, we like to go down to Studio B where we can uh, talk to our good friends down there and uh, check in, see what's going to be on their show coming up at BYU Sports Nation. Hey, gentlemen, how are you doing? Good. Brian Logan's here today. (laughs) Brian, you're back. I'm back. I'm still still holding on strong. I didn't think that you you would survive the flu. I, I told you the airborne man yeah. it does it does it's miracles. See that's amazing. Brian, um seriously, I we were praying for you. We were I, thinking he's not going to make it. And now what we found out is Spencer Linton is now really where is he? Is he is four, he is he he's sick? He's taking time off this week. Four, he's, he's earned it. Yeah, he's sick. Hardest working man in showbiz. That's exactly right. right. Seriously, he and, did he called four games last week and hosted five BYU Sports Nation with I mean, a bad voice. With the yep, yeah, and the flu. And he was sick. Yeah, without any voice. airborne. Oh, wait. Oh, I get it. Never mind. That's right. And that's right. on top of that, where did you go, by the way, Jerem? That didn't seem like that seemed like really bad timing to just. Yeah, everyone thought that I left because he had a bad voice. No, I had a trip planned already. I went to LA uh-huh. and just hung out for the weekend. Actually, hung out with Ice Cube on Friday. Did you? Mm-hmm. Uh, you mean an, I was in the same room as Ice Cube? The Ice Cube or yeah. an Ice Cube? And Debo. Really? From the movie the, Friday. The Ice Cube. The, yeah. the Ice Cube. Not what, an Ice the, Cube. The, ra- the rapper. <laughs> what, what, what did you... Why? What, oh, where? You were just... There was some party in Bel Air, whatever, man. No, <laughs> no. Went to, uh, went to ESPN's Sports Nation, the sister show of ours, we'd like to say. Uh, there's a former uh, BYU TV employee named Michael Bodmer, who's a friend mm. of mine. He works there. He hooked He's you an up. He's an AP, and so... Uh, that's the second time I visited him there. It was very fun. Very did, fun. Did to, you uh, wear a lot of bling? You are known to wear bling. Yeah, yeah, boy. Uh, yeah, I wore my uh, clock. You know, uh, yeah, your big necklace. He and wore, all that. He yeah. wore his, Brigham, his his BYU swag. I did wore. Uh, I <laughs> yeah. wear some. I wore some BYU swag, so it got on the show. But That's yeah, cool. that was fun. The men's volleyball team played down there, so I attended that Saturday night. But got a, caught a game in San Diego, Major League Baseball, and went to the beach. Hey, it was a fun weekend. Answer me this, because this just blew my mind last night on ESPN two. 
I watched um, the Deuce. No, that's what they call it. The Deuce, they call it. Yeah, is that what like, they call it? Like two. Okay, I know. So tell me this: Why does the Deuce, ESPN two, duh? Why do they show video games? They showed a video game. It's called. It was called a he, um, Dorm Heroes, Hero of the Dorms. Mm-hmm. It was a big tournament between Arizona State University competing in a video game against Cal Berkeley, and it was huge. Like we, my kids couldn't. We couldn't stop watching it. We watched a video game tournament, and now ESPN's hosting it. I don't. I don't know why they're doing that. They do explore some things that are not regular. Like yeah. they make the Little League World Series a big deal. They yeah. make the Baseball World Series a big deal. They show poker for goodness' sake, which actually generates revenue on television. Yeah. So they're exploring other options. See, it is a little it. weird. But in the '90s, this was like a thing. Like you'd you'd see these Nintendo tournaments, right. and they were fun or whatever. In fact, there were a couple movies about this. You know, they have they, there's like Madden tournaments and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Tecmo I, Super Bowl. I just heard about it this morning uh, during our meeting, so I didn't I didn't get a chance to, to look at it. But I, I do know sometimes ESPN will do like a simulation game for, for Madden or, or football, yeah. b- you know, baseball or basketball. From, to promote that product. To, yeah. They're paying them to do it. Right, to promote the product. And it's, it's pretty cool to say, yeah, this is what we did for, for Madden and Super Bowl and for the Super Bowl, these two teams. This is the winner, right? Yeah. But I uh, never really saw them go this deep. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's eSports. That's is, what they're uh, yeah, that's what they're calling them, right? eSports. And I think it's going to um, take out – these guys were playing for scholarships for their entire college career. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Some and, of us had to like get a job. And but there was also like probably five, ten thousand 10,000 people, fans in the audience. By the way, all of them look like um, – uh, like a Revenge of the Nerds scene. <laughs> I was going to say, careful with your words. I right know, now. but they they were going crazy. And by the way, ninety because you just described me. What's ninety five percent male in the audience? Yeah. But it was crazy. Anyway, I thought, okay, there we go. But I'm worried for you. I'm really worried, Jerem. Why are you worried? Because you need to start doing. You need to be a commentator on esports. On esports, I mean, I, I, it might be the future, games? dude. It might yeah, be the future. Yeah, I, I like playing sports video games. I'm not huge into you know. Yeah. Assassin's Creed or Halo. Do you play like Lord of the Rings? Brian, no. do you play? Surprising. I know. No, I, I actually don't play. So uh, I stopped playing uh, like game video games, I think, my when I got into junior college. When I got into college. Yeah, you got to be serious. Uh, that's when you buckled and, down and, with junior and college. That's exactly, no, I'm, I'm serious. That's the first time <laughs> in my life I got straight A's. That's right. <laughs> I didn't, Brian I didn't Logan. play games. Good job, that's Brian. That's how you to BYU. But, but check this out. So I, I, I come to Provo, right? And uh, in the springtime where half the team is gone, you know, because it's spring. And I am literally, you know, have no friends. Yeah, you're bored. I, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm, I'm hurt. I come into to Provo with a uh, with an injury, so I can't practice. And with the emotional team. damage from the so, JC. All that, all that stuff, right? I have no friends, no teammates yet, no interaction with the team. I'm so bored. I go and I buy a PS3, a PlayStation 3. There we go. And some and some, and some video games. And yep. I, it lasted for like two weeks. And you gained fifty pounds. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Blew your hip out. Grew a beard. Hey, um, it sounds like a party. Hey, what's on your show today? You guys, you're still going to do it, right? I mean, you two I think are so. Here. Yeah, you're still doing I, it. Yeah. It's the best show on earth. <laughs> I mean, next to the, the best circus. one hour of TV and radio on BYU Sports. It on totally BYU is. Today. Absolutely. And BYU Radio. Uh, we, we're excited to talk a little bit about the offensive side of the football this year. The post-spring depth chart came out. Hmm. So who does BYU have? It's the starters and the backups right now. We'll, we'll break that down. Which position group okay. do you have the most confidence in right now? As well as Colton Shaver. This is a freshman on the baseball team. They got four big wins last week. They beat the league leader San Francisco in all three games over the weekend. The dude hit, I think, four home runs last week. Mm, uh, man. He has the most home runs for a freshman 
at BYU in the last decade. He's going to join us in studio. That's good stuff. And then the latest NFL mock draft. There are two Cougars in NFL.com's latest mock draft. Could BYU have two guys drafted for the first time in a while? This This could be big. It could be. This week's the NFL draft, the end of the weekend. This could be like eSports big. This could be eSports big. <laughs> this could be that, that big. big. I mean, we're talking huge. Huge. This, this is, yeah, this well, is really big. If they can get if they can get two guys drafted, uh, That'd be nice. Oh, yeah. Jaron really said nice. he'll shave his head. Yeah, no, I that came up again. He yeah. said just the right that side, That came though. up Friday just again. Just the right it did, side I heard. Of his head. <laughs> so the men's, the men's volleyball libero, he's the guy that, you know, Digs up everything. Yeah, he he says on the show, if we beat USC, does that mean Jerem's going to shave his head? So but, I wasn't here. So I saw Brian him Saturday night. Sure. I go, Jalen, I'm not shaving my head if you win because I believe you'll win. And Uh-oh. then they didn't, which was disappointing. See, now you got to shave your head because you, you ruined <laughs> it for him. I want Spencer to shave his head. Well, that'll be fun. We, we can. Shave. We'll hope for that. Let's maybe he will. No, after. no, nobody wants it. Let's not do it. No more head shaving. Let's just let's I just can, be big kids. I can shave my- Let's, we yeah, need to raise the normal, stakes. Like, 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 normal for me. You like, guys got to go do your show. Like your eyebrow or something. Ooh, I'm worried about you. Be good. Ooh, ooh. Do the, do the eye, no, eyebrows. just one eyebrow. You have to shave one eyebrow. Just if, one. if BYU goes undefeated <laughs> this year in football, I'll shave both eyebrows. I, I got, I, you I know got what, Jaron? Don't write. Don't do that, dude. I'll do that. With no, Jaren. that's how confident. Listen, I got your, I got your listen, back, brother. There's no chance of that. Oh man, come on. Oh, they're gonna do it just to have you shave your eyebrows. I would love to shave my eyebrows at the end of the year if they did that. Okay, I, can I do one of them? Yep. Yeah, I'll pluck it first. Mark it down. I like to do it one. Do wax, wax it. We'll wax it right off. Wax it. Yeah, you guys. Go, we you gotta go it. do your show. We can burn it. Whatever. You gotta go do your show because you know what? You're not getting paid to do my show. I Let's feel bad it. for you. You got hey, you got a, another five and a half minutes. I man. know. Then I'm going Finish to take strong. my nap. I will. Hey guys, have a great show. Knock it out of the park. Thank you. We'll All shave right, the thanks. eyebrows in one year. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Uh, good stuff, man. I would love to shave an eyebrow. Let's let's do that on the show. We just need a little gig like shaving an eyebrow. Terry, do you want to offer up an eyebrow? I, I heard a story before the uh, the show started. What? So odark odark thirty this morning. Uh, Iran yeah. is banning male eyebrow removal. Oh, yeah. Because apparently it's turning into a uh, An art form. a very popular thing. There's some vanity involved, and it's going against what they want to reflect of their culture. So they're banning so eyebrow no, waxing. No, gro- no grooming of the eyebrows. Of that nature. Some people might call it an epidemic. Yeah, heaven forbid. Once the eyebrows go, you know what happens then. Hey, here we go. Uh, Our hero of the day. You know, we like to talk about heroes. Two Michigan police officers perform an act of service for a family instead of fining them. Here's the basic story. The family's pulled over for violating car seat laws. Two Michigan police officers, Jason Pavlidge and James Hodges, responded to a call reporting that a mother was holding her baby on her lap while in a moving vehicle. The officers pulled the car over, found a mother and a father and a 10-month-old baby inside. The couple was in tears as they explained to the officers that they were new to the area. They had very little money. They could not afford to purchase a car seat for their child. So the officers, realizing the family was in dire situation, quickly decided that finding them wouldn't make much sense. And instead, the two officers pulled uh, pulled their money together. And then Hodges ran to the nearest Walmart while Pavlidge sat with the family. When he returned, he was carrying a brand-new car seat. They quickly installed it, put the baby inside, and sent the family off on the way without a fine. The act of service was performed in February but was only recently reported. Both officers Pallage and uh, Hodges are now honored by Grand Rapids' Harley-Davidson and West Michigan's Most Wanted as Heroes of the Week. 
a fitting title for this kind deed performed by these two brave uh, officers. Pretty cool. See, again, there's good people out there. A lot of the stories we're hearing today about police officers are just how horrible they are, how they don't care, how racist they are. Folks, uh, that's a very, very, very small portion of those that risk their lives every day for us. So we're just going to honor those two police officers and all those great police officers who are willing to put their lives on the line for us. And let's uh, also try to figure out a way to uh, create you know, better training and information for the rest of them so that uh, we're all treated fairly. That's the show, my friends. Again, we can't do it without you. The goal is to help you live longer, love stronger, and build healthier, happier lives. Join us again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.